What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for today, Simon Villanos, aka Coach V, and this is Playmakers Corner, episode 202. We got your week four Colorado high school football recap. Uh, we got a lot on deck here. We're going to recap all the Thursday night games, Friday night games, Saturday night games. Um, talk about all the key games that we, uh, as in myself, Cody and Gideon, went to a number of games this weekend. So we do have a couple, uh, you know, in-game recaps that we'll go into in more depth since we're there. So there you go. Um, and then we have our first ever women's flag football recap for Colorado uh, High School here. Uh, Was able to make the Jamboree over at the Stutler Bowl last weekend on Saturday. Wasn't able to watch every game, uh, unfortunately, because, yeah, well, myself and Cody both had work in the morning, so only was able to catch a couple games in the afternoon before I had to head back uh, to Colorado Springs to watch a night game at 7-ish p.m., and so... Wasn't able to stay the whole time, but did get to uh, watch a couple games there. Saw two, well, technically four, uh, because two of them were going on at the same time. But got to see all those games and, you know, got to talk a lot about a specific program in Arvada West that I kind of followed around in. So uh, that'll be a short little recap there. We'll talk about uh, what happened. I'll talk about what happened there, um, who Arvada West, uh, you know, got dubs against, who really stood out and all that great stuff. then after that we got playmakers of the week and then we're going to talk about power rankings and so we got a lot this episode let's go ahead and hop into it though and let's talk thursday night football all right so thursday september 15th 2022 uh we got heritage versus overland heritage goes ahead and blows out overland 48 to 6 zyreek siegler believe that's how you say that uh he had 13 carries 104 rushing yards three touchdowns also noah shown he had 11 carries 109 yards two touchdowns as they run all over overland in that one and then on the 1a level we had a shootout between estes park and denver christian here estes park winning 52 to 46 in a close one their young quarterback rylan reitz went 29 of 42 for 443 passing yards five touchdowns to one interception in an insane shootout there so love to see that but let's go ahead and move up a couple levels here we got grandview 5a versus 4a fruit of monument here both teams ranked in the top 10 at least according to our pmc rankings here and you know what it was a back and forth game uh shout out to zay nito for grandview made a lot of big plays for them at receiver caught a couple of touchdowns there but ultimately this game would go into overtime here and in overtime what would happen is that Fruita Monument, they would get the ball first, they would score a rushing touchdown, as they usually do with their rushing attack, and hit the extra point there. And then Grandview would go ahead and score a touchdown. I believe it was a rushing touchdown. And then they would go for two for the win. Um, and it would come down to Liam Zarka rushing in for the two-point conversion. And that would result in a big-time Grandview win as they win 38-37 to in an instant thriller. Liam Zarka, ultimately, uh, he's in our Playmaker of the Week running for the 5a level now back to the metro area we got rangeview versus aurora central here 
and range view would go ahead and win kind of a close one 14 to 7 there uh moving up north we got frederick versus silver creek frederick wins a close one 29 to 27 against 4a silver creek uh cruz zamudio 20 carries 212 rushing yards one touchdown river lakey 14 carries 125 rushing yards and a touchdown as they run all over silver creek in this one and then up in 5a we got a top 10 matchup between ralston valley and regis jesuit and this one was an instant thriller here's what happened ralston valley was leading at halftime and then regis jesuit went on a run where they scored multiple touchdowns and so um they actually regis was actually leading 28 to 10 at the 10 minute mark in the fourth quarter but logan madden for ralston valley would not go down so easily he would go ahead and throw a touchdown pass with about eight minutes left but his kicker unfortunately would miss the pat and so it would only be 28 to 16 doesn't matter though as ralston valley's defense comes up big stops reaches jesuit gets ralston the ball back and logan madden comes back again and throws another touchdown with about three minutes left here in the game making it 28 to 23 after the pat was good and then this ralston valley defense once more again would get another stop and get the ball back and then here's where logan madden would clutch it up he would come back and get his third passing touchdown of the game and of the quarter here taking the 29 to 28 lead pat was no good reaches jesuit did have a couple minutes uh left here to go ahead and score but it would be no good here. Ralston Valley's defense stands up strong. And they go ahead and stop Regis Jesuit. And at least according to our PMC rankings, Ralston Valley gets a huge upset dub against a quality team in Regis Jesuit. Right here, 29 to 28. Um, Logan Madden, 21 of 32 for 253 passing yards. Three passing touchdowns to throw one interception. And he had uh, their only touchdown of the game before the fourth quarter it was a rushing touchdown there but josh rios um i believe senior for ralston valley he went off in this game eight receptions 168 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown he was big time as ralston valley goes ahead and comes back and beats regis jesuit 29 to 28 in a thriller now speaking of top 10 teams in 5a we got thunder ridge they played the defending 4a champs from last year chatfield and they go ahead and take care of business 28 to 13 uh cole hanchett he had eight carries for 96 yards and two touchdowns caden shouse on defense did his thing two sacks five tackles um and chatfield you know didn't have too bad of a game no brock narva this game so that's definitely worth noting and i believe they were actually leading at halftime i want to say but uh their quarterback jake jones jr played pretty solid here 18 of 35 207 passing yards two passing touchdowns in this one but still thunder ridge goes ahead keeps their win streak alive as they are one of the few undefeated teams in 5a and beat chatfield 28 to 13. we're gonna get a little bit more specific here but speaking of 5a teams in the top 10 and are also undefeated we got rock canyon uh they go ahead and beat uh chaparral 35 to 6 dean chisholm um i believe that's how you say it 13 carries 144 rushing yards a touchdown by aiden duda he had 16 carries for 220 rushing yards and three 
rushing touchdowns in a big time performance as Rock Canyon stays undefeated this season. Now moving down to the 4A level here, we got Thornton versus Widefield. Um, just wanted to say Thornton forfeited to Widefield. So Widefield continues to stay undefeated here on the 4A level, technically as they are 4-0. Now back to 5A, we got Fairview versus Horizon. Fairview goes ahead and wins this one, 26-13, kind of a closer one here. Uh, Rowan Reisner, 22 of 30, 195 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Jordan Rochelle, six carries, 87 rushing yards. Uh, he also had five receptions for 47 receiving yards as they go ahead and defeat Horizon here. Uh, Horizon, not too bad. Alex Birch, 13-21, 134 passing yards and a touchdown, no picks there. He also had 38 rushing yards on the ground. Uh, Landon Loomis caught that lone touchdown there for them. So not too bad, but Horizon is 0-4. They have not won a game yet. While Fairview moves on, uh, I believe their only loss on the season was to Valor Christian. So still looking pretty good here. Now, upset alert here on the 5A level. We got Legacy versus Mountain Vista. And here's how it went down. Legacy led 24-14 going to halftime after a second quarter where they got a touchdown and a field goal holding off this Mountain Vista offense. And so, go ahead and take a 10-point lead there after it was tied uh, in that first quarter. But... Here in the third quarter, it was a Legacy's Kai Studebaker. He returned a 92-yard kickoff for a touchdown. And then in that same quarter, would return a punt 55 yards for a touchdown as well. Now, Mountain Vista would score two touchdowns in the fourth, but it would obviously not be enough to climb into this game. And so Legacy upsets Mountain Vista 41-28. to Mountain Vista getting their first loss on the season here. While Legacy is having a pretty solid season here despite losing some guys, they are now 2-2 two two on a two-game win streak. Legacy will play Legend next week, so... There you go there. But a couple stats here. Uh, Kylan Studebaker for Legacy. He was definitely the player of this game and a playmaker of the week candidate. He had four tackles, two interceptions on defense, while also returning that kickoff for a touchdown and a punt for a touchdown. Then his quarterback, Colin Lermer, uh, he had he won 19-25 for 274 passing yards, three touchdowns to one pick. He also had 17 carries for 106 rushing yards and then for mountain vista austin majazuski uh you know he did his thing but definitely needs to take care of the ball he won 22 of 38 for 437 yards three touchdowns to two picks that would prove to be costly in this game uh jakai mack in this game did a good job 10 receptions 185 receiving yards and then carter daniels at linebacker on defense 22 tackles and two tackles for loss not enough to beat Legacy, uh, who, like I said, beat them 41-28. to Now, one of the last games I want to talk about is Lutheran versus Pueblo East here. And so I'm going to go ahead and recap that game since I did make the trip down to Pueblo. Uh, this was a matchup between two top 10 teams in 3A. Alright, let's talk about this Lutheran versus Pueblo East game here. Uh, according to our own power rankings here on the podcast, Lutheran 
ranked four at the time going into this game. And then Pueblo East right behind them, tied at six. You know, Pueblo East coming off of a very good win um, against the Hunter Lutheran, stringing together a couple impressive wins since coming back uh, from Missouri, where they had their only loss of the season, but so far undefeated in Colorado play. And so going into this game, Lutheran, they would go down to Pueblo to play it. And Pueblo East would actually receive to start the game. But Lutheran would go ahead and kick an onside kick. A perfect onside kick. Went exactly 10 yards basically. And they would go ahead and recover that bad boy. And start on the 50 yard line. Which ended up being big for them. Now, a couple plays into the drive. It is third and four. Riken, their quarterback. Uh, I think it's Doggard, I want to say. Goes ahead and throws it short on third and four to number one. That is Joe Cicio. And he makes a lot happen off of this catch. Not only getting the first down, but getting them a couple more yards for a nice gain of about 10 plus, 15 plus yards. Getting them in the red zone just like that. And then on the very next play, Riken, the quarterback, finds his receiver, Sam Wow. Whistler, I want to say, or Weisler for the touchdown on a quick little out route. And just like that, Lutheran takes the 7-0 lead um, in under a minute with 11 minutes, 2 seconds left here in the first quarter. Now, Pueblo East, you know, uh, obviously they did not get the onside kick the first time. But the second time, they're ready for it. And not only were they ready for it, but they went ahead and they recovered the football. And then it was number 11, Marquis Sanchez, who would go ahead and house this one, uh, going about 50-plus yards to the house for a touchdown and tying it up 7-7 to just like that. So a lot of action here in the first minute of the game. After that... Lutheran, they would go ahead and take over on the 30 after the kickoff. And Ryan Kenny gets the first down to start with a nice little run up the middle, making a couple people miss. After that, though, they go ahead and throw it to Joe Cicio, who gets the next first down crossing midfield. They're hitting a little bit of a rhythm here. And then, once again, Ryan Kenny gets the carry, and he goes ahead and hits a nice 20-plus yard run, uh, putting them in the red zone of there, just slashing his way through the defense. And then after that long run there, it's Ryan Doggard who goes ahead and punches this one in on the read option a couple plays later. But they go ahead and they score, making it 14-7 to with 9 minutes 51 seconds left here in the first quarter. Now, Pueblo East, they go ahead and they return uh, the kickoff here. It was a, you know, a little squib kick, and so they start on the 44. But... Unfortunately, two straight incompletions and a failed screen attempt would result in a three and out. And so just like that, Pueblo East would go ahead and punt it back to Lutheran here. Also, I believe one of those uh, pass attempts was almost intercepted over the middle. But doesn't matter. Lutheran gets the ball anyways. And on first down, Riken, he takes it a little bit too long to throw this thing. And he gets absolutely nailed by Gabriel Garcia for a sack there. After that, they go ahead and try to run the ball. But 
that player is buried for a loss on second. So it's third and long here. At least like third and 14 or so. But doesn't matter. They go ahead and throw it across the middle to Joe Cecio, who kind of bails them out here and gets a nice 20-yard gain and a first down crossing midfield, making a couple, a couple people miss on the way there. Couple plays later, it is third and six, but Lutheran's quarterback, he keeps his composure here, throws a nice little quick out route to his receiver. That is number six, Michael Lopez, who goes ahead and gets the first down on the out route. Then it's Ryan Kenny who gets the carry up the middle, makes a couple people miss, has some tough running here, and he goes ahead and gets them another consecutive first down here, putting them in the red zone. Then a couple plays later on third down, Ryken, uh, the quarterback, he finds number 11. That is Chase Sorensen for another touchdown with about 6 minutes 47 seconds left here in the first quarter. A nice little catch by Chase here uh, in 101. And so just like that, Lutheran takes a 21-7 lead after the PAT. Now, Pueblo East, they're trying to respond back. They don't want to get caught in too big of a hole here, especially here in the first quarter. And so, after the touchback, they go ahead and take over on the 20. And Zayden Stevens on first down gets them um, another first down on a nice 10-yard carry. After that, he takes a shot to his star receiver, number 10, Isaiah Trujillo, and he comes down with it for about a 20-plus yard reception, uh, basically just him going right up the seam there. And then a couple penalties happen here. A lot of penalties happened uh, for both teams. They throw a false start on the offense, and there's an encroachment on the defense, and so ultimately it's first and 10 after all was said and done. A play later, Isaiah Trujillo, he makes a nice diving catch for another good gain here, but they mark him just short of the first down, so it's third and short. Doesn't matter, Zayden Stevens on the keeper goes ahead and gets the first down, and that would put them in the red zone here. Uh, so there you go. And then on first down, Zayden Stevens takes a shot into the back of the end zone. It's a pretty good throw. The receiver actually catches this one, but the receiver could not get a foot in bounds. They rule him out on the would-be touchdown, and so that kind of hurts them there. Then right after that, there's an illegal sub. Um, so that makes it second and 15, kind of kills the vibe there. And But then right after that, there's a pass interference penalty called on Lutheran. Like I said, there would be a lot of penalties on this specific drive. And so it's second down and 14. Um, or sorry, second down on the 14-yard line. Uh, in reality, it's about second and one or so. Now, they try to throw it on second down. It's incomplete, so it's third and one. And then Pueblo East, at this point, they're like, all right, let's just try to get the first down, run it up the middle. They're stopped just short. It's fourth and inches. Doesn't matter. Zayden Stevens on the quarterback sneak goes ahead and just barely gets across, making it first and goal here. Now, on first down here, Zayden Stevens, he tries to scramble out, buys himself some time. Nothing's there, so he just gets pushed out of bounds. Loses about a yard there. Then uh, Pueblo East, they run a... a trick play it looks like here they go ahead and hand it off and then hand it off again to the reverse here the receiver running the reverse and then that player was supposed to throw it to another player i believe it was either the slot receiver or running back who's running an out route but 
unfortunately, if that player drops the ball, I mean, it wasn't a bad throw or anything. He just dropped it. So that brings up third and 10 here. On third down, Stevens, he's forced to throw it away because of this Luthan pressure. So that actually brings up fourth down here. And on fourth down, they dial up a slant route to his guy, Isaiah Trujillo. Uh, but in great one-on-one -on -one coverage, they go ahead. Luthan goes ahead and stops that. Uh, they get a nice pass deflection. And so just like that, after a long drive, it's a turnover on down. So that kind of took some air out of Pueblo East there. Now, Lutheran here, they've been running a very fast offense all night so far. And that wasn't going to change just because they're up by two scores here. They're definitely trying to score. And this is a team that goes hurry up. They run plays in less than 10 seconds, if not quicker, to be honest with you. Um, they're really hard to track here as the only person at this game. But anyways, here's what went down. They go ahead and hand it off to their backup running back. I believe it's Sawyer... Sawyer Wild, Wald, sorry, I want to say, and he gets a nice 10 yards, but then a false start makes a first and 15, they hand it off to Ryan Kenny, he's popped on a outside run that's strung out uh, for a loss, and so it's like, I want to say it's like, it has to be like second and 16 and whatnot, and then this is where Riken comes up big, their quarterback, and Joe Cicio once again, but he goes ahead and hits Joe Cicio um, down the right sideline, who just makes a physical catch in one-on-one -on -one. not bad coverage at all but just a better catch to be honest with you great job getting leverage and then finishing the play and getting his feet in bounds and making sure he controlled that thing and so that went for about 20 plus yards that was a huge game in the first down got them across the midfield so that was a big play that kind of bailed out that drive uh that had some negatives going on uh after that first down run and then right before half, Ryan Kenny, they go ahead and hand it off to him. He maneuvers his way around the defense, gets them another first down. Uh, that would basically put them in the red zone just about on the 20 right as the quarter ended. And so here we go. They're on the 20. Uh, a couple plays later, it is third and two. And it is Ryan Kenny who goes ahead and pounds it up the middle, uh, sheds a couple tacklers, would-be tacklers and whatnot. And it was just a really good run, to be honest with you, and scores a touchdown, making it 28 to 7 with about 11 minutes, 36 seconds left in this game. But East, you know, they, they're down 21. They're trying to get something going. They take over on the 35 after Lutheran kicks another onside kick, which, by the way, is almost recovered, but it's, it's not. So... There you go there. Uh, it was a good kick too, by the way. This kicker was kind of on fire with these onside kicks. I just want to make a note of that and uh, shout him out real quick there. So there you go there. But here's what happened. Isaiah Garcia, uh, East is running back. He gets the first down on a nice 10 plus yard run to start to, to start the drive. But a couple incompletions in a row, including one where, oh my God, the receiver just got popped, like just rocked by this linebacker or safety here. And that forced an incompletion. But uh, three incompletions in a row basically brings up fourth down and it's basically a three and out after that long run and so lutheran i mean it's a good punt they take over on the 15 with about 11 minutes left here in 
this game and so on first down the quarterback uh, he rolls out and he just gets absolutely clobbered took a little bit too much time to make a decision there and he just got caught slipping just a little bit there then they run the ball that stops short so that brings up about a third and long it's at least third and nine at this point and they try to throw the slant but this one is picked off by number 23 Gabriel Garcia and not only does he intercept this one but he goes ahead and houses this one for a pick six for Pueblo East as they find some life here and cut into this lead making it 28 to 14 Lutheran still leads with about 9 minutes 45 seconds left in this game now after that Lutheran they go ahead and take the field here and they want to calm down the quarterback just a little bit so they go ahead and hand it off to their star running back Ryan Kenny and Ryan Kenny makes it half happen and on the first play of the drive goes 50 plus yards to the house for a touchdown and just like that Lutheran extends the lead matches that touchdown making it 35 to 14 with 9 minutes and 32 seconds left after that Lutheran they kick another onside kick it looks like they recover it but the ball does kind of just bounce out from underneath that player and so East just barely recovers this one that would have been devastating there um, but you know what it happened and so there you go there now a couple plays later into this drive it just does not get easier for Pueblo East they could not find a break here as the snap is fumbled it was a little bit of a low snap here and so Lutheran is actually going to recover that fumble and that's Josh Ayers who goes ahead and gets up in there and gets that fumble and so Lutheran takes over on the 40 um, with a chance to go ahead and put this game away potentially here in the second quarter and so here's what happens on the first play Riken, the quarterback gets popped on a late rpo throw uh for a minute there the backup goes in i believe for a player or so but Riken would eventually come back just a little bit shook up there uh while he was out though he lutheran did get a couple nice plays going here with a nice outside run uh about a 15 plus yard run by sawyer wald here and so that gets them a first down um, unfortunately, a false start on Lutheran makes it first and 15. Doesn't matter, though. They go ahead and throw to Joe Cicio uh, on a short route here. He almost gets the first down and stop just short. Uh, then it's number 30 who gets the handoff. He's stuffed here. And then, unfortunately, you know, they try to throw the screen route. It's like third or fourth down at this point, I want to say. And it's intercepted. Um, it probably, this screen route probably shouldn't have been thrown. Uh, it was covered pretty well, but it's Thomas Wilson, number 52, the Pueblo East linebacker, who goes ahead and gets another turnover for East and gives them a chance to cut into the lead and make it a two-score game right before half. There's about seven minutes left here in this game. And so here's what happened, you know, on second and short after the double throw they handed off to another player and he threw it um garcia they go ahead and hand it off to him he runs up the middle he stops short again so it's third and one um but it doesn't matter zayden stevens he goes ahead rolls out left and gets the first down on a nice outside run for about 10 ish yards 
Then he goes ahead and hits his receiver, Isaiah Trujillo, uh, on a nice slant route um, made by number 10. Gets at least six or seven yards, making it a pretty solid second and third situation. Now, Isaiah, he does get hurt on that play, and so he is helped off the field. And so that's kind of a big hit on Pueblo East there. Um, but after that, you know, uh, Pueblo East, they kind of call a, I believe it's a quarterback draw here. But Lutheran was ready for it, and they go ahead and pop Zayden Stevens here for a loss, making it third and six, third and seven there. Now, Zayden, he does take a shot downfield, but it's another good pass deflection. Great a defense in 101. Not even that bad of a pass there down the sideline. And so that brings up fourth down and they go ahead and get the fourth or well they get the first down on fourth down on the screenplay but uh an ineligible receiver penalty would actually erase that play and make it fourth and at least 10 here because it was third and six before and so with that being said, you know, they, they still decide to go for it. I mean, they're still down by three scores here. But pressure from this great Lutheran defensive line on a tough rollout left uh, goes ahead and forces this pass to be incomplete. It was almost completed, mind you, but it was kind of a tough pass to make on the run, rolling out left when you're a righty quarterback. Uh, but doesn't matter, Lutheran, they go ahead and take over here with the chance to extend this lead and really put this thing away there's about four minutes left in this game and so a couple plays uh later in this drive it's about third and six Riken, they go ahead and call out uh some it looks like a a swing route of sorts here that's his primary route but he sees it Makes a great decision, knows it's not really there. It could either be picked or a turnover or incomplete. And so he goes ahead and takes this one up the middle, scrambles and gets the first down. Also gets his team across midfield. That's a great decision by him to go ahead and adapt and uh, shake off some of these uh, turnovers, interceptions here in the second quarter. So love that. After that, he goes ahead and throws it across the middle. Uh, pass was tipped, I believe, by um, either the receiver or DB. I, I couldn't really see, but it got kind of lucky. And number 10 for Lutheran, that's Sam Wisler. Weisler uh, goes ahead and makes a great catch. You know, just great focus catch here. And goes for about, you know, 15 plus yards. Uh, getting them the first down and putting them in the red zone on a very lucky play. That was just... I mean, it just went Lutheran's way. Everything's going Lutheran's way at this point. And then right here, the next big play that would happen, um, Riken, he goes ahead, he drops back. I'm pretty sure he sees the blitzer on the right side. He is uncovered, and he's about to pop uh, Riken Doggard here. But he sticks in there, completes a beautiful throw, a tough throw, a strike to number 30 Sawyerwald who goes ahead and he just I mean he basically uh, goes down the sideline and scores a touchdown almost uncovered there I mean it was a really tough throw to make there um, but he did it and they go ahead and score a touchdown taking a commanding 42 to 14 lead here in this game now East will get the ball constant pressure would force a three and out then Lutheran would get the ball with about a minute and 46 seconds left. A couple penalties would kind of kill the vibes here. And so, you know, they 
they eventually have to settle for a field goal, which they were not close to making. Doesn't matter, they're up 42 to 14, and that is basically the end of this game here. At that point, I did leave at halftime, and just the way this Lutheran offense was rolling, and the way their special teams was playing, and how well their defense was doing at containing Zayden Stevens, I, I just couldn't see Pueblo East coming back from being down 42 to 14. And so actually the final score of this game was 56 to 27. Uh, Pueblo East would not score in the third quarter, but they would get a couple points here in the fourth quarter. Tough game by Pueblo East, but Lutheran looked really good. Like I said, special teams was on it. Um, their onside kicks are lethal. Like, <laughs> like it's pretty, it's, it's just precision when it comes to their kicker kicking those onside kicks because it really does kind of teeter on that 10 or so yard line. Well, not yard line, but it teeters on that 10 or so yards. And then you, as a returner, either has to make the decision and jump on it or you got to wait on it to kind of roll towards you, but also Lutheran's going to jump on it as soon as they can. And so you could tell they practice that a lot. And so big props to that, because that might be something important to keep an eye out on uh, special teams and all that moving forward. But offensively, I mean, this Lutheran team is lightning in a bottle. You know, they're really fast. They run the spread. They go hurry up. They go tempo. I mean, if you have players playing both sides, which a lot of the good teams do have elite athletes going both sides, they're going to try to gas you and take the air out because they can. You know, they got players that play just offense and just defense. They are built like that and, and they know their job. And, you know, even when the backups had to go in, they still did a good job. I know Joe Cicio had to come out at one point. Their quarterback, Riken had to come out at one point. Uh, Ryan Kenny was rotated in and out, obviously, because you don't want him out there all the time, you know, and so everyone there knows what to do, you know, and so this Lutheran team showed me a lot. They looked really good. We'll see what happens. They play 4A Montrose, which is a tough team. You know, that's a team that, uh, you know, they, they're, they're going to beat some teams and they're going to be physical with you and try to control the pace of the game as well. Not in the same way that Lutheran does. But in their own way, trying to slow down the game, not get into a track meet. So we'll see how Lutheran does against that 4A defense and all that. Now for Pueblo East, I mean, they scored 27 points, so it's not like... I'm panicking or anything like that and it's not like their players weren't just like not communicating or making plays I mean they got two interceptions in the first half for the most part their players were there you know but there are just some excellent throws by Lutheran's quarterback that I kind of just feel like you can't defend better than uh, than they did right there and on top of that I mean it's, it's kind of tough going against a team that's just going tempo on you and they're running plays in less than 10 seconds after the previous play ended. So not only do you have to run back to the line of scrimmage, but you got to get set and you got to figure out what you want to do here. And so uh, they're just kind of put in a tough position. If they play again, I'm sure it'll be a closer game. So we'll see. Pueblo East, as of right now, they're only 3-1 and one, and they're one losses to a very quality Lutheran team. Um, so there you go there. They're going to look to bounce back here after this bye, I believe, because they play Pueblo. Well, actually, no, they don't get a bye. My bad. They play Pueblo South next week, which I will be at. That's a rivalry game. So that should be a lot of fun. But, uh, there you go. Also did want to mention real quick, uh, some stats from that Lutheran game for Lutheran. Uh, Riken Doggard, 17, 24, 314 passing yards, four touchdowns and two picks. 
but uh, oh sorry 15 rushing yards and a touchdown as well but the running back ryan kenny really turned up this game 19 carries for 251 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns automatically in our playmaker of the week conversation and then we got joe cco who did his thing uh led in receiving yards and receptions so i want to say he had seven receptions for 133 receiving yards all right now let's move on and let's go ahead and talk about friday night football first off we got pine creek versus denver east pine creek beats them 66 to 14 cam cooper 9 of 18 for 134 passing yards two touchdowns uh but it was the run game that really did the most damage here mason miller 12 carries for 112 yards and three rushing uh touchdowns jonathan core 14 carries for 129 rushing yards and a touchdown and then luke Zimmerman, 11 carries for 119 yards and a touchdown also by the way ramon pacheco shout out to him he had two interceptions on defense in this blowout win now we got denver south versus golden and in the 4a levels here and golden would actually go ahead and upset denver south 43 to 14 here um giselle riley the fourth he did his thing 10 of 15 190 yards touchdown to a pick but mostly on the ground he put in a lot of work as well 21 carries 181 rushing yards and a touchdown his running back cole kiercioli i want to say um excuse me if i'm mispronouncing that but yeah 23 carries for 89 yards and three rushing touchdowns what it came down to at the end of this game giselle rally threw a 20-yard touchdown pass to trey abrams and then he would go ahead and rush for the two-point conversion and the win um with under a minute left in this game and that was after a denver south touchdown and so that would be enough to go ahead and edge golden over denver south in an upset now uh for denver south joseph capra only missed two passes he was 18 of 20 for 258 passing yards three touchdowns also had 13 carries for 66 rushing yards on a touchdown chevelle early 18 carries 94 rushing yards two touchdowns and then Rashad Caldwell had eight receptions, 90 yards, two touchdowns. Like you said, still though, not quite enough as this Denver South defense did not do as well as they probably could have. So there you go. Now, moving on, we got LaHunta versus Manuel. LaHunta goes ahead and beats Manuel 48 to 6. Uh, Luke Gardner, their starting quarterback, seems to be injured and has not played this game or the previous one yet. So just keep that in mind. LaHunta, they're still in our top 10 for now, but, you know, not having Luke Garner is definitely hit. But no worries. You know, Ryland Schmidt, he had 11 carries, 77 yards, and two touchdowns in this game. Jeremiah Martinez did his thing, six carries, 70 yards, two touchdowns. Also had one reception, which was a 29-yard touchdown. And then A.J. Martinez for LaHunta had a good game here. Five tackles, one sack, two interceptions, and a forced fumble here doing his thing like i said as the hunter beats manual 48 to 6 staying on the two-way level though uh denver west they play flat irons academy and they beat flat irons academy 14 to 10 and some would say an upset uh ahmed hussein for denver west he had 20 carries for 196 yards and two touchdowns on defense also had 12 tackles three tackles for loss and then forced and recovered a fumble there uh, also kg chase for west he had 17 carries and 100 rushing yards all in a great effort to go ahead and beat a solid flat irons academy team uh flat irons academy though a lot of turnovers on offense through three interceptions had two lost fumbles gotta clean that up but for now denver west will take this one 14 
to 10. Now, Lakewood versus Mullen here. Mullen wins a close one. They win a close one against Lakewood, 44 to 38. It was 20 to 12 Mullen at halftime, but they'd after with three second half touchdowns before Lakewood would score their next touchdown at the six minute mark here in the fourth quarter here. Um, and they would go on a little bit of a run there, but Mullen still beats Lakewood. And I believe I said the score wrong. Mullen beat Lakewood 44 to 28. That's what I meant there. So there you go there. Uh, Mullen's Aaron Waymeyer. He had 14 carries for 241 rushing yards and three touchdowns in a big time performance for them. Now, let's go down south, kind of near the western slope, actually. We got Durango versus Grand Junction Central. And Durango blows out uh, Grand Junction Central 49-14. Tyler Harms, 4 of 8 for 82 yards, 3 passing touchdowns. Jerk Baruch, 20 carries, 114 yards, 1 touchdown. Zachary Aber, 16 carries, 86 rushing yards, 1 touchdown. Also had a 10-yard um, receiving touchdown in this game, as well as Durango beats grand junction central 49 to 14. um then we have holyoke versus H hershey here this one was originally scheduled for friday so i'm just gonna talk about it here uh, but they would end up playing it on saturday hershey is a team out of nebraska but doesn't matter holyoke uh, goes ahead and beats them 32 to 19 taking care of business then we got skyline versus vista peak skyline wins this game 35 to 22 Caden Box with a playmaker of the week type of performance, 13 and 25, 199 passing yards, three passing touchdowns. Logan Miller, three receptions, 95 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns. And then the Skyline defense played well, four interceptions, two fumble recoveries in a 35 to 22 dub. Now, let's talk about a rivalry game here. We got Englewood versus Littleton here. Um, well, I believe it's a rivalry, but it doesn't matter. Littleton, they go ahead and beat them 44 to 33. They get four straight touchdowns after being down 14 to 18 at halftime to basically put this away and force Englewood to play catch up from there, which they did, but like I said, wasn't enough. Bryson Malanga for Littleton did his thing 27 carries. 283 rushing yards four rushing touchdowns and a big time performance a signature performance there as he is in the playmaker of the week conversation on the 3a level uh so he did his thing there um but englewood though uh they would have their running back isaiah i believe it's segoviano Segoviano, I want to say. Excuse me if I'm saying that wrong. 15 carries, 116 yards, and a touchdown uh, in this loss, unfortunately. And Benedict Sturr, he also had 59 yards and two touchdowns in this loss. As Littleton beats Englewood 44-33. to Moving on, though, we got Fossil Ridge versus Windsor. And Fossil Ridge blows out Windsor 33-0. No Tyler Kubat in this game either. It was the sophomore Colton Pollock uh, who went 11 of 18 for 204 passing yards, three touchdowns to one interception, but had 15 carries for 142 rushing yards and two additional rushing touchdowns as well. This sophomore really stepping it up, but it was actually the sophomores of Fossil Ridge that stepped up in this game. As sophomore rushing, or uh, I guess he is a rushing back, but sophomore running back, Jake Toshkoff 
had 16 carries for 160 rushing yards. And then sophomore receiver Mike or Marcus Moser, excuse me, had two receptions for 78 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown. As Foster Ridge do their thing with their sophomores and beat Windsor 33 to zero. Then we got Loveland versus Thompson Valley. Loveland takes care of business 53-0. Garrett Harstead, 3-5, 75 passing yards and a touchdown. Also had 15 carries for 164 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns there. And then we got an out-of-state matchup. We have Valor Christian versus Liberty, a very good 5A team from Arizona. Uh, they've won state the last couple years. And Liberty goes ahead and puts Valor Christian on blast and blows them out for the first time in probably a decade, to be honest with you, beating them 50-7 to here in a gigantic win for Liberty down in Arizona. And Valor Christian, like I said, suffering probably the worst loss they have in about a decade. Uh, Valor, they finally played their three-star quarterback, Asher Weiner. He won 6-13 of 13 for 38 passing yards. Did run the ball six times for 68 rushing yards. Uh, Gabe Sawchuk finally got back in the swing of things, I believe. But he only had five carries for a negative two yards. Um, and I, I don't know if this stat is correct, but I do want to say this. Liberty's Zane Tallman had five fumble recoveries by himself and a blocked field goal. Uh, Liberty would recover a couple other fumbles outside of him as well. As Valor just did not play well at all here so that happened but uh moving on here speaking of teams not playing well uh Greeley West loses to Northridge 49 to 0 in a crosstown rivalry Northridge Kings of Greeley there you go uh moving on though we got Doherty versus Mesa Ridge Mesa Ridge goes ahead and wins a close one 42 to 30 Isaiah Jones for uh Mesa Ridge 14 carries 124 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns Carver Cheeks, the senior receiver, doing his thing. Five receptions, 174 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown. Caden uh, Becker for Doherty, he did what he could. I mean, 20 of 28, 224 passing yards, three touchdowns to a pick. Solomon Latimer, though, had an excellent performance, but unfortunately it was wasted here. He caught 17 receptions for 208 receiving yards and three receiving touchdowns. Yes, 17 receptions. That has to be a state high uh, for this season. So there you go there. But basically how this thing went down, it was kind of a close game. Mesa Ridge led 28-24 going into the fourth. But Mesa Ridge would score a rushing touchdown with about three minutes left in this game. And then two minutes later threw a, a touchdown taking a commanding 42-14 lead with about a minute left. Caden Becker with the garbage time touchdown to Solomon Latimer at the end. But that would be it. As Mesa Ridge, like I said, beat Doherty 42-30. Now, we got Douglas, or sorry, not Douglas County. We have Discovery Canyon Campus versus Evergreen, and this was not a close one. Tommy Poholski and Evergreen goes ahead and beats them 48-0. Uh, Poholski, 20 of 22, only missed two passes for 313 passing yards and five passing touchdowns as they go ahead and get another blowout win here. Then we got Boulder versus Monarch. Speaking of blowout wins, Monarch blows out Boulder. 44-0, uh, Owen Mellish, a junior, he had 8 receptions for 147 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown for Monarch. So, there you go. 
Um, keeping the blowout scores coming here, we have Greeley Central versus Palmer. Greeley Central traveling down to the Springs to play Palmer, and they take care of business, beating them 48 to 6. I believe this is their first non Greeley win or a win against a non Greeley school in a couple of seasons here now. So good for them. Uh, then, speaking of teams up north, we got Moffat County, and they go up north and play Rollins from Wyoming and they beat them 34 to 22 uh they had a 21 to 8 lead at half and then they just kind of never looked back and uh forced Rollins to kind of come back from behind and chase them here uh no Evan Atkin for their third straight game here he is their star running back still got it done without him Court Murphy nine carries 20 yards two rushing touchdowns also one two of four for 59 passing yards and he had 14 tackles and a fumble recovery definitely doing his thing in a big time dub here for moffitt county um then we got brush versus yuma yuma beats brush 10 to 7 in a close one here's how it went down yuma led uh 7-0 at half and then brush would tie it with a four yard rushing touchdown with five minutes left in the third quarter then Yuma, right before the third quarter ends, would kick a field goal to take the lead. And that would basically be it as Yuma would eventually recover a brush fumble while Brush was in their red zone or was in the red zone. And so that would take away an opportunity there. And then Brush would eventually get the ball back and even get to Yuma's 28 before a holding penalty would eventually kill the drive. And Yuma escapes with a tough 10-7 win over Brush. Now moving up to 3A here, we got Holy Family versus Mountain View. And Holy Family beats them 45 to 12. Ryland Cooney, not the cleanest game. 17 of 24, 239 passing yards, two touchdowns to three interceptions, but made up those three interceptions by running for 51 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns. Also, shout out to Chris uh Johnides, John I want to say. He had two interceptions for Holy Family. So there you go there. Uh, Rye, uh, another blowout win here. Beats center 48-16. Burlington beats Lamar 21-0, shutting them out. Garrett Richardson, 18 carries, 87 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns. Dominic Con Conrady, Conrady, I want to say. He had 10 tackles, 5 tackles for loss of sack. Also had 10 carries and 31 rushing yards and a touchdown there. Um, speaking of 21-0, Pooter versus Bryden. That was the exact score of that game. Pooter beating Bryden 21-0 in that one. Um, moving on, we have Pomona versus Fountain Fort Carson. Fountain Fort Carson now on a two-game win streak as they beat Pomona 45-0. Tavion Tooley had a pretty good game here. 6 of 12, 180 passing yards, four passing touchdowns. Also had 26 rushing yards. Uh, junior running back, Matthias Price, 10 carries, 121 rushing yards in this big time dub here now a closer game to talk about we have elizabeth versus university where elizabeth escapes with a dub 14 to 7 in a very close matchup there so there you go but staying here on the two-way level we got delta versus rifle still no ty reed for delta not sure when he'll be back uh he is dealing with an injury but doesn't matter delta beats rifle 20 to 0 I believe it's pronounced Asai Carrillo. Uh, excuse me if I'm saying that wrong, but Carrillo, he had 12 carries for 36 yards and two rushing touchdowns. Also, shout out to Connor Workman. He had 16 tackles and five tackles for loss as he worked that defense, man, uh, over at Rifle. 
Moving on though, we have a very interesting game, a 3A game between Fort Morgan and Pueblo County. Uh, all right, here's how it went down. So Fort Morgan, they did score 42 points, but they only scored two offensive touchdowns, both by the quarterback, Trey Romero, who would have a rushing touchdown, I believe, in the first quarter and a passing touchdown in the fourth quarter. So you must be wondering, where did the other points come from if uh, Fort Morgan scored 42 points? Well, Fort Morgan would actually recover six fumbles in this game. And one of those fumbles, they would return for a touchdown. So there you go. And then Fort Morgan would also return two kicks for a touchdown. So that's 14 more points there. And then uh, they would also get a pick. Oh, by the way, both of those kick returns were in the third quarter. So there you go. Uh, and then Fort Morgan would also have a pick six as well. And so that's 28 points off of defense and special teams touchdowns. Uh, Pueblo County, though. You know, they would do their thing. Uh, they would also return a touchdown in the third quarter here on a kick return. So there you go, making it 35 to 28 in that one. But a passing touchdown, like I said, from Fort Morgan's Trey Romero in the fourth with nine minutes left would make it a two score lead for them. And County, they would score a rushing touchdown late in the fourth with two minutes left. But it would be too late as Fort Morgan, in a crazy game, gets their first win of the season against Pueblo County here. So there you go. That happened. But moving on, we have Glenwood Springs versus Basalt. And Basalt would go ahead and beat them 28-12 to in a solid win here. Uh, we got Far Northeast versus Longmont. Longmont would win this one 26-13. Um, almost similar to that Glenwood Springs versus Basalt. Almost, but not quite. Colby Holmes for Longmont, 11-17 for 91 passing yards. Didn't have to pass a whole ton this time. Uh, 16 rushing yards and a touchdown in this one. But it was Cole Gaddis who really turned up, especially on offense. 26 carries, 164 rushing yards, and two rushing touchdowns. Now on defense for Longmont, Griffin Taylor did his thing with three sack or three tackles, one sack, and a pick six. Far Northeast would actually not score until the fourth quarter, but by then Longmont was already up 26-0, so all their scores came in garbage time. Moving on though, we have Faith Christian versus Kent Denver. Faith Christian wins a close one 13-7. Dante Vigil, 23 carries, 91 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown there. Um, then we have Cherokee Trail versus Fort Collins. Cherokee Trail would win this one 27-13. Uh, for Cherokee Trail, a Caleb Davis pick six would make this 27-7. Um, them leading over Fort Collins with about 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. And that would basically seal this one. Fort Collins' Nicky McGuire, though, had a pretty good game. Eight receptions, 184 receiving yards, and two receiving touchdowns. But was not enough for Cherokee or for Fort Collins to beat Cherokee Trail. So there you go. Now moving down to the 1A level, we got Cedar Edge versus Olaf. Uh, Cedar Edge would go ahead and beat them 42 to 0. 
Ethan Toothaker, uh, sophomore. He had five carries for 73 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Luke Maxey went 9 of 13 for 100 passing yards, two touchdowns to one interception in that one. Now moving up to the 2A level slash 3A level actually, we have 2A Eden playing 3A Severance here. Uh, both these teams used to be 2A last year here in the Patriot League, but here's how it went down. Eden would actually beat them 35-0. to uh, Eden led 14-0 at halftime. But then Walker Martin got a 71-yard rushing touchdown with five minutes left in the third. Uh, put that along with a Charlie Fritzler pick six with four minutes left in the third. And that would basically seal this game. Uh, Walker Martin, 8 of 16, 101 passing yards, one touchdown to two interceptions. Um, but did have three carries for 88 rushing yards and a touchdown. Morgan Trebet, though, had a very good game, playmaker of the week type of game here, so he's in that conversation. He had 10 carries for 59 rushing yards and a touchdown. Also had 14 tackles for 5 tackles for loss, a sack, and 2 fumble recoveries. Eden's defense came to play this game, 2 interceptions and 5 total fumble recoveries in this game. Now. Moving on, we have 4A, or sorry, 5A Smoky Hill playing 4A Palmer Ridge. And Palmer Ridge would come out with a pretty good dub here, 44-16. Derek Hester, 8-14 of for 191 passing yards, 2 passing touchdowns, 8 carries for 53 rushing yards, 2 rushing touchdowns, and no turnovers um, this game, or um, really at all through the first four games of the season. Derek Hester playing very, very clean football, doing his thing. Uh, but also, it helps when you got running backs like Gator Robinson, who goes ahead and runs for 128 yards on 16 carries. So good dub there for number one Palmer Ridge here in Foray. Moving on though, we have Arvada West versus number one Cherry Creek in 5A, and Cherry Creek wins 62 to 21. Cherry Creek would actually play three different quarterbacks in this blowout win. Aurelio Marchio, he won 7 of 10 for 125 passing yards. He led these quarterbacks in passing yards. Brian Rudden, though, uh, the senior, I believe, he won 5 of 5 for 80 passing yards and two passing touchdowns, leading in passing touchdowns. And then Ben Starr also got him there. He won 2 of 2 for 34 passing yards but it was the cherry creek running backs and defense that went crazy their running backs uh jordan heron seven carries for 101 yards two touchdowns carlson bubba tan 11 carries 118 yards and a touchdown but this defense did their thing aiden napke had a pick logan brantley had two picks uh, Will Loveridge had an interception. Chase Brackney, he had a forced fumble and recovery as Cherry Creek once again takes down West 62-21. Moving on though, we got Roosevelt 3A versus 5A Highlands Ranch here. And Roosevelt wins a close one against a very quality 5A team. 25 to 22 roosevelt actually led 19 to 14 in the fourth but ryan Doucette will cap off a long drive uh making it 25 to 14 with three minutes left now matt dean for highlands ranch he played a pretty good game he would come back with a passing touchdown and two-point conversion with under a minute left in this game but there was just not enough time for highlands ranch to come out as roosevelt used up a lot of the clock their line played well here as the running backs ryan Doucette. 12 carries, 122 rushing yards and a touchdown. Xavier Ramirez, 18 carries, 119 rushing yards and a touchdown. Uh, all battling Highlands Ranch's Matt Dean, who had a good game, 21 of 34, 221 passing yards and two touchdowns. As, like I said, 3A Roosevelt beats 5A Highlands Ranch 25 to 22. 
Moving on though, we have Stanley Lake versus North Glen. Lake beats North Glen 34 to 6. Uh, I believe their running back, Blake Stout, he had 15 carries for 160 or 176, sorry, rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. Also had a 43-yard receiving touchdown. So there you go there. Uh, we have Montrose versus Palisade, 3A versus 4A here. A lot of cross-division, um, I guess cross-level games here. But Montrose would go ahead and beat them 40-14. to Blake Griffin had a rushing touchdown of 65, 11 yards, and 5 yards in the second quarter to put Montrose up 27-0. Uh, their quarterback, Montrose's quarterback, Gage Wareham, he had touchdowns, one through the air and the ground in the first half. That would also contribute it to being a 40-0 lead here at halftime. Montrose leaving, leading over Palisade in this game and eventually winning 40-14. Now, in Parker, we got the battle for Parker. That's between 5A Legend and 4A Ponderosa. And here is how it went down. Pondo took an early 14-0 lead in the first quarter. Uh, all Zach Stryker touchdowns, by the way. He had a hand in all their touchdowns, uh, in all of Ponderosa's touchdowns. So there you go. And so they took a 14-0 lead with six minutes left in the first. And Alex Martinez, legend rushing touchdown, would make it 14-7 with two minutes left in the first quarter. But Pondo would eventually score another touchdown. Zach Stryker finding his guy Max Mervin for a 43-yard touchdown to take a 21-7 lead right before halftime. Now after that, John Brookhart, Ford legend, would throw a touchdown to Jeff Baca, uh to cut into the lead, making it 21-14. Legend would then force a turnover on downs, holding Ponderosa at the two-yard line with about five minutes left in the third quarter. Ponderosa had a chance to make this a two-score game. Legend stopped them there. Uh, but then Ponderosa will get a big stop of their own, stopping Legend on fourth down uh, on their 23-yard line with four minutes left in the fourth. Legend basically in the red zone there. And so that's a huge stop by this tough Ponderosa defense. And then from there on, Ponderosa would run out the clock thanks to good runs by Zach Stryker and Ethan Rodriguez to ice this game as Ponderosa defeats Legend 21-14. Zach Stryker, 13-18 of 18 for 109 uh, 199 passing yards, two touchdowns to one pick. Also had 80 rushing yards and a touchdown. Liam Edwards for Ponderosa, seven receptions, 124 uh, receiving yards and a touchdown. Also had a pick on defense. Then you had Max Mervin, three receptions, 62 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown. Cape uh, Olsen leading this Pondo defense, 19 tackles, two tackles for loss. As Ponderosa continues their strong season here, uh, number two, I believe, currently here in our PMC rankings on the 4A level. Moving on, we got Ray versus Ellicott. Ray takes care of business pretty easily here, winning 49-0. No Casey Midcap in this game. It was a freshman who started at quarterback, Austin Collins, who went 5-7 of seven for 74 passing yards and a touchdown. Also had two carries for 46 rushing yards and a touchdown. Uh, Ray had five total rushing touchdowns on the ground from four different players in this blowout dub speaking of blowout dubs Lewis Palmer gets one over Canyon City 41 to 8 and um, continuing to speak on blowout wins Dakota Ridge gets a 41 to 0 dub over Rampart Noah Triplett he had 18 carries 102 rushing yards two rushing touchdowns Brandon Miller had a 
big time 52 yard rushing touchdown. Jack Stewart, he had three carries for 46 rushing yards and a touchdown. And Blake Palladino, eight carries for 103 rushing yards and a touchdown as they take care of business there. Then we got Montezuma Cortez upsetting North Fork, I feel, beating them 49 to 20 in a big time dub. So there you go there. Uh, Eagle Crest would beat Rocky Mountain 21 to three doing their thing there uh taking care of business and speaking of that manitou springs goes ahead and takes care of business 46 to 12 tyler maloney he had three touchdowns evan sure had two touchdowns and a pick uh was a pick six but got called back there so that's a shame but still got the pick there quarterback nate gensel he had four touchdowns through the air doing a good job um couple other interceptions by gage williams preston rhodes uh, Logan Moore had a touchdown in a sack. Braden Dowling uh, had a sack and a forced fumble. And then Donovan Ornilas, I want to say, he had a sack, uh, fumble recovery, and a two-point conversion. Uh, All together, just beating down Rocky Ford, as they should, 46-12 to 12 there. Um, still talking about some blowout dubs here. Green Mountain got a blowout dub of their own. 48 to 0. George uh, Soapy, I want to say, he had seven carries, 47 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns for Green Mountain. Zach Wallace, their quarterback, three of seven for 62 passing touch, or sorry, 62 passing yards and one touchdown. He had six carries for 36 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns as they continue to stay undefeated. Moving up to 5A, we have Columbine versus Arapaho. Blowout wins continue. Columbine takes care of them 28-6. Markane Taylor, 12 carries, 60 yards, a touchdown. James Lesson, uh, 6 carries, 69 rushing yards, and a touchdown. Uh, also had a receiving touchdown, I believe. Braden Harvey, 64 rushing yards and a touchdown. And then Josh Snyder on the ground, 20 carries for 104 rushing yards. As they beat Arapaho, 28-6. Then we got Bear Creek versus Thomas Jefferson. This one was pretty close, but Bear Creek still beat them 41 to 27. Adrian Rico, he won 11 of 23 for 243 passing yards, four touchdowns to one pick. The running back, Steven Campos, 25 carries, 145 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns. Uh, Isaiah Phelps, he also had four receptions, 101 receiving yards, and two receiving touchdowns in a big time Bear Creek dub over Thomas Jefferson. And then we have Douglas County versus Castleview. Had to call an audible here. Look, I'm just going to make an announcement here. We don't tolerate disrespect, you know, and uh, we felt like we were disrespected, not by the players or anything like that, but by the adults. And so for that, um, look, we're not going to put up with trouble. We made our efforts to go to this game, but we felt like that wasn't reciprocated. So short story, we just did not go to this game. But... It was a shame because it was a good one. Douglas County uh, beats Castleview for the second straight year in a row. Uh, Battle of the Rock, 24-21. to Davis Lish, 13-18 of 18 for 130 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, uh, 12 rushes for 39 rushing yards as well. Jake Stonebreaker, 111 rushing yards, uh, one touchdown. Chase Nelson doing his thing, five carries, 53 rushing yards, six receptions, 98 receiving yards. And a receiving touchdown as they go ahead and beat Castleview for the second year in a row. That has not been done in... Actually, I'm like looking back at Max Preps. I don't think it's been done at all during the rivalry. So that's a big time dub for them. So congrats to them. Uh, congrats to Douglas County. Like I said, wasn't anything personal towards the players. But 
you know you gotta you gotta help us out and i'm talking to the adults here uh for them so there you go now we do have two other games we're gonna recap instead of myself going to that douglas county game i went to broomfield versus erie so you're gonna hear a recap of that and then right after that you're gonna hear our guy gideon giving a recap of timnith versus wellington uh another rivalry game it would be actually the first rivalry game of theirs in a minute here and so there you go there gideon he's one of our interns he's going to be attending a lot of games up north and he's gonna be having some segments here starting with this one but first broomfield versus erie all right let's go ahead and talk about broomfield versus erie a 4a showdown we got two great quarterbacks on each side and here is how that went down so broomfield went ahead and started with the ball here to start the game and so they had a nice couple runs you know number three for them rylan beamer he did his thing he got a couple yards uh number two luke francis had a nice catch a uh, nice diving catch at one point to go ahead and get a first down uh, but erie you know they were doing their thing they were trying their best to stop the run and whatnot and for a minute it looked like they were about to force a punt but then cole Lacrue goes ahead and takes off for a nice 10 plus yard scramble and gets the first down extending this drive here and then right after that or a play or two after that he goes ahead and takes a shot downfield to number 88 Kalen Frey uh, beautiful pass here and it goes for about 20 plus yards and goes ahead and puts them basically right up on the goal line in the red zone and when they're in the red zone they go ahead and call a quarterback well they call read option but Cola Crew keeps this one and takes it five yards to the house for a touchdown and the lead after the PAT as they take an early 7-0 lead with about 8 minutes 30 seconds left now Erie they go ahead and take over. They do find themselves in a third and short situation after their running back number 16 for them. Trey kind of got a couple first downs for them, but it's third and short. Blake Barnett, he rolls out, tries to scramble, and he is stuffed by number five of Broomfield. That is Nick Petrich. And so it goes ahead and brings up a fourth and two. On fourth and two, though, Blake Barnett finds his receiver, number four, Josh Levine, on the out route. And he goes ahead and gets the first down and puts Siri in the red zone for the first time tonight. But right after that, Broomfield forces a huge fumble, and that fumble is recovered by number seven that is geo toledo and that goes ahead and kills that eerie drive and gives broomfield the ball back which is a huge game changer for them with the chance to go up by two scores and on this drive here it was luke francis and brent harris who basically took turns getting first downs running up the middle running outside and running all over this eerie defense here to go ahead and get them in the red zone and once they're in the red zone they go ahead and call cola cruz number he runs it up the middle and he gets a touchdown with about 14 seconds left in the first and 14 that is the number that they go up by 14 to 0 after the pat and erie they go ahead and get a chance to get something going right before the quarter ends 
And so they run a couple plays, and it actually brings up third down uh, right as the clock expires. And so they go ahead, and it's third and five, I want to say, um, in at the beginning of the second quarter. Blake Barnett, he takes a shot deep. He has a receiver open, and it is just slightly overthrown here. And so that brings up a punt here, and so Erie punts it going three and out. Now, Broomfield, they try to get something going here, but a huge sack by number one of Erie. That is Jace Onsted. I, I believe that's how you say that. Excuse me if I'm saying that wrong. He gets the big sack there and makes it kind of a second and 21. And then he gets another sack, uh, making it third and 27. And at this point, I mean, <laughs> it's not It's not really... I, I don't really think... Broomfield expected to get it, and so they actually punt on third down, which was really interesting. Uh, they lined up in a normal formation, and then Cole Crew punted it. So there you go. But Erie, they go ahead and take over on the 50, and here's how it goes down um, on a very, very long play after the first down run. Blake Barnett eventually finds his guy, number nine, who makes a great sideline catch for about 10-ish yards, more than 10 yards at this point. And then right after that, Blake Barnett finds a star wide receiver, Caden Lettuce, over the middle for a slant. He catches it, runs a bit, fumbles the ball, and then <laughs> recovers the ball in the end zone. And so, unconventional, but it goes for a touchdown. And so after the PAT, Erie kind of cuts into this lead. Broomfield, though, still leads 14-7 with about 8 minutes and 13 seconds left here in this game. Now, Broomfield, they try to get something going. They run it up a middle for a yard. They have an incomplete pass, and so that brings up third and seven. And then after that, a um, run of play, he's sacked, but they call defensive holding, and so that gives them a first down. A couple plays later, though, after two runs, it's third and four. They're not able to get it on third down, and so they go ahead and punt it here. Not a three and out, but they did get a first down and then went three and out at that point. So there you go, Erie. They have the ball here with some time to get something together. They're on the 45, and here's how it goes down. Blake Barnett, he rushes left, gets a first down on a nice 15-yard rush with a head full of steam there. But right after that, Blake Barnett, he throws downfield, and Brent Harris, number six, intercepts the football and so Broomfield goes ahead and takes over uh, I believe they're at the 25 here now in that previous drive Cole Crew uh, came off the field for a minute there looked like he was a little hurt and so backup quarterback CT Worley goes in uh, for one play and they go ahead and call a quarterback draw or a quarterback dive, whichever you want. He's going up the middle regardless. And he gets a nice physical six-yard rush up the field, making it a manageable second down. And then Cola Crew comes back in. Wanted to mention that real quick there. Now, after that, they go ahead and hand off the ball to their running back. That is Beamer who goes ahead and gets a nice couple of yards here. He gets the first down, and he also puts them on the 39-yard line. And then that's when Cole LeCrew lets this one fly for a 40-plus yard pass to number one, Anthony Cobb, 
who brings this one in. It was a beautiful pass because Cola Group, he was getting hit. And he was he knew he was gonna have to absorb that hit and still make a great pass here. And it was a fantastic, beautiful pass down the right sideline. Great anticipation, great timing here, and then a great catch by number one as well. And so that big play would go ahead and put them in the red zone. Now a couple plays later, after a couple of short runs, it's third and six. Doesn't matter. Cola crew, he goes ahead and scrambles, takes off for the pylon. And he is marked just short. Still gets the first down. But at this point, it's first and goal. A couple plays later, Broomfield, they are trying to punch this one in. It's fourth and one. Instead of going for the field goal, they decide to go for the touchdown. And so they go ahead and call Cola Cruz number right here. And he goes over the top for the touchdown. Along with a good 21-7 Broomfield lead. With about a minute 27 seconds left here in this half now Erie they're trying to get something going here um, but basically they can't get anything going they have a couple incompletions passing game doesn't exactly look in sync they do take a deep shot at the end but like I said it's incomplete could have been I mean it could have been completed if the receiver brought it in but it was gonna be a tough catch and double coverage so it is what it is and so they go into halftime down 21 seven they do get the ball to start the second half though and to start this half eerie uh kind of looks like they're relying on the run game well it definitely looks like they're relying on the run game because they don't attempt to pass really on this first drive as they basically just run it up the middle with trey Kana and blake barnett they do get a first down but unfortunately a tackle for a loss very fortunate for this broomfield defense that's been playing great but a tackle for loss forces a third and seven situation and so they have to throw it at this point and they do they take a shot downfield but it was just an inaccurate throw and so that brings up fourth down and that's when blake barnett goes ahead and punts this one away now broomfield they're looking to score and use up the clock as they get a lot of runs in on this drive brent harris he gets a nice 10 plus run um going outside and getting a first down to start this one luke francis has a nice three yard run here cola crew contributes runs up the middle uh for a first down getting them to the 45 then it's brent harris again or uh sorry not brent harris number three rylan beamer again who battles forward for a nice couple of yards here gets a nine yard run gets a 10 yard rush uh and they're rolling at this point they're getting a bunch of first downs just running the ball not really passing it because they don't need to they're up 21 to 7 and then cola crew finally uh well not finally but he breaks another scramble for about a nice 20 yard gain here putting them on the 10 in the red zone with a first down here um great run by cole Lacrue here just making magic happen kind of out of nowhere you know making something happen there the number three ryland beamer continues his success not only on this drive but in this game and gets a nice outside run here and ends this drive with a touchdown walking in making it a commanding 28 to 7 broomfield lead with about six minutes 30 seconds left in the third now eerie they're not going away just yet and so they dial up something nice to get a nice run up the middle from number 10 gavin lusk 
Uh, after that, Blake Barnett runs for around 25 yards. Probably would have went to the house, to be honest with you. But there was a ref in the way, and he was definitely not paying attention as he was uh, staring off into space. And so Blake Barnett, with no choice, had to run him over. And so uh, gets a couple more yards after that, but probably would have been a touchdown if he wasn't there. And so there's a whole timeout. The ref's okay, so you don't have to worry about him too much there. Uh, but still, they get a first down. After that, they run the ball again. Erie runs the ball again a couple times, gets another first down, officially gets in the red zone. Then it's number 10, Gavin Lusk, who goes ahead and cuts into this lead and gets the touchdown for Erie, making it 28-14 to after the PAT with 3 minutes 30 seconds left here in the third quarter. So they are definitely still in this game here. Now Broomfield sticking to the game plan. They're going to run out this clock as much as they can. They're going to run the ball as they have been doing it pretty well throughout these first three quarters. And so that's what they do. And they do get a first down here. But after that, um, or sorry, they get two first downs actually. Uh, number six for them, Brent Harris would get them that second first down. And so they're doing a pretty solid job here. Uh, two consecutive first downs. But comes down to second and eight cola crew they call his number and you know what eerie is there for it they go ahead and stuff him and not only do they stuff him but they tackle him for a huge loss here for it's almost i mean it's third and 18 after they go ahead and tackle him for a loss here and so broomfield they decide to pass for it i mean there's not exactly a play for third and 18 and so this pass as you could probably expect is incomplete and leads to a punt that is a huge stop for this eerie defense and so eerie they have an opportunity to make this a one score game right before the quarter ends they have about yeah, 54 seconds left they take over on about the 30 yard line here and unfortunately for eerie on this drive they have a couple things just not go their way. Blake Barnett does get a first down to start it. Um, and so he gets a nice 10-yard gain. But then number 16 for Erie here, uh, Trey Connor. He breaks off kind of a nice run here for another. It would have been another consecutive first down, but a holding go ahead and calls that one back and pushes them back, making it a first and long, about a first and 20 there. Then they run a play. Another penalty is thrown, so it's second and 17. And then Erie, they have a false start, making it second and 22 before they could even run another play. Um, then, So it's second and 22 here, and uh, they got a lot of yardage to make up here. Blake Barnett, he does take a shot uh, down, or not down the middle, but over the middle here. It's incomplete. It's kind of a low throw, and so it's third and 22. They pass it again. It's incomplete again. I mean, it's 4th and 22. And so that basically ends the quarter, and Erie punts it to start the 4th quarter here. A huge missed opportunity for Erie here, having just a million penalties on this one drive. Uh, that kind of just killed the vibe here. Now, once Broomfield got the ball here in the 4th quarter, they had a very, very long drive here, using up almost all the time here in the fourth quarter really um once they punted it because uh eerie they punted it right before the third quarter i believe and so broomfield would take over and i mean they just drained this clock you had number three for them rylan beamer carving them up straight up just carving them up they could not stop him he was getting first down after first down 10 yard run nine yard run all that stuff cola crew scrambled up for a bit um at this point eerie's defense was keying in on cola crew 
through, but that kind of allowed some other guys like uh, the running back Beamer here to really just turn up and do their thing. Um, number two, Luke Francis at one point had a nice toss play on third and six that made it a manageable uh, fourth down here. So there you go. Um, and then they would go ahead and get the fourth down conversion. Cola Crew just going up the middle. Uh, Cola Crew did get a couple. I mean, he got a number of carries here, you know, just to keep him guessing. But it was that backfield of Cola Crew, Ryland Beamer, Luke Francis that time. Uh, Brent Harris got him there a couple of times on this drive that really just carved up this Erie team. And they were tired. You know, by the time they got into the red zone, and this was a very long drive because Broomfield took over on the 30. So it's about a 70-yard drive here. Uh, by the time they got into the red zone, you could tell they were definitely gassed. And to end this drive here, you know, obviously they found success. You know, they ran it up the middle. They, they ran it up anywhere, to be honest with you. And they just used up a, a lot of time. But to end this drive and to put this game away... It was number 18, Cole LaCrue. Runs it up the middle. He is fired up. He gets his fourth rushing touchdown of the day here. Uh, great, great game for Cole LaCrue here, by the way. And that basically puts this one away as they take a 35-14 lead with 2 minutes 40 seconds left in this game. Almost a 9-minute drive. I mean, at this point, Erie, they have 2 minutes left. You know, they have two minutes left to uh, come back from 35 to 14. It's over at this point. Let's just keep it honest there. And so that would basically be the game. Broomfield upsets Erie 35 to 14. Uh, I do have some stats here. Cola Crew up through the air. He did his thing. They didn't pass a whole ton because they took a very early lead, a very good lead at that. And so even then, he was very efficient. 10 of 14, 172 yards, 71% completion rating. Great job there. Um, no touchdowns, no picks, no turnovers, so that's good. But the rushing game of this Broomfield team really stepped up, did their thing. They used up a lot of this clock, did not allow Erie to have more time than they should. And, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to their senior running back, Ryland Beamer. 24 carries, 144 rushing yards, and a touchdown. Really did his thing there. Um, you have Luke Francis. He had 18 yards on four carries. Brent Harris had a couple big plays here. 28 rushing yards on four carries. Um, shout out to our boy CT. Uh, six yards on the one time he got in there to set up that drive and keep the vibes going there. To uh, go ahead and set up the drive that would put them up by two or three touchdowns, I believe. So that was huge. And then you got Cole LaCrue, you know, like I said, not too much over the air, but on the ground, he did his thing here, you know, uh, 53 rushing yards on 19 carries, but four rushing touchdowns, finding a way to get it done in the red zone each and every time. Now, I don't have any defensive stats because they're not put in at the time that I'm recording this. It is September 18th. It's Sunday, you know, but I got, I got to do what I got to do. And so, you know... Uh, I'm just going to say this, though. This Broomfield defense played like a championship defense. Did get a couple picks in this game. But most importantly, they did a good job stopping the run, making it very difficult for Erie to kind of get into a rhythm. It just felt like Erie's offense was just not in a rhythm at all throughout this game. I mean, one of the touchdowns they had, it was a fumble that they that they happened to recover for a touchdown. So, and that was definitely a fumble Broomfield could have recovered. I mean, they're 
two guys versus one there. Uh, but Caden Lettuce just won that battle. So there you go. But this Broomfield defense, man, they played well. And I'm going to say it. You know, they're a championship winning defense, or at least they look like one in this game. And so we'll see if they could keep it up. But they did an excellent job in this game, holding Erie to only 14 points here. And then once again, shout out to this offense, Cola Crew. A great dude. You know, he was fired up this entire game. And, you know, the rest of his team, you know, they did their thing as well and followed right behind him. They did a good job, especially that running attack. Uh, by the way, running attack as a group. 249 rushing yards and five touchdowns. Cola Crew had four of those, but just a great job from that Broomfield rushing attack. So there you go. That is Broomfield versus Erie final. Once again, Broomfield 35, Erie 14. Hello, beautiful people. Now, for the past two weeks, you've heard my game notes, but for the first time today, you will hear my voice. My name is Gideon, and you can call me Gib. I'm a graduate of Manitou Springs High School, and I am currently a freshman at Colorado State University. My responsibility this year is to cover games in Northern Colorado, and if there are any games up here that you all want me to check out, don't be afraid to send it a DM and let me know. Now, we shall begin with my first recap today, which is of the inaugural Ag Bowl for the Box Elder Cup between Timnath and Wellington. The last time that the Timnath Cubs played the Wellington Eagles, Dwight Eisenhower was the President of the United States. That's why this game was such a big deal to both of these communities. Both sides of the stands were packed, with Timnath's side being standing room only for most of the game. After presenting the colors, the Cubs lost the opening coin toss, which set up QB slash kicker Alex Kolsak for the kickoff. He's got a good leg, and the Cubs started on D with good position. It started shaky with an encroachment penalty being called on the first play of the game. This started a very ugly trend, where this game had around a dozen penalties between the two teams. However, Timnath picked it up again on the next play by forcing a Wellington fumble, however that was recovered by the Eagles. A forced fumble is a forced fumble though. However. Long runs by Wellington broke through, and in particular, a 41-yard touchdown made the Cubs down 6-0 with 10 minutes 13 seconds left in the first quarter. The Eagles attempted a two-point conversion, which was tackled short by the Timnath defense. Wide receiver slash defensive back Davis Payne received the ensuing kickoff and ran it for 29 yards. However, the sideline got a warning and they got another penalty. Running back slash linebacker Vince Hochhalter threw an incompletion before getting a 12-yard carry. This was followed by Payne getting what I call a fancy run, full of jukes and spins that gained about 7 yards. Hochhalter had a lot of good run plays on this first drive, but when the Cubs decided to throw, it didn't go too well. A few throws went over guys' heads, and it resulted in the offense running through Hochhalter. This led to a 4th and 1 situation, a fumble, and a turnover on downs. However, on the very next play, wide receiver slash defense back Evan Vaza caught an interception to give the Cubs possession once more. Timnath wasn't really trusting their quarterback with the ball in the air, which resulted in plays where Hochhalter would shrug off four guys like it was nothing on the ground. Occasionally, these gains wouldn't be as much as they could be because the center was snapping the ball really low, making a half-steps difference for the offense. An incorrect offensive formation for the Cubs led to a timeout, and that play resulted in a 4th and 2. 
Hochhalter then made history on a 16-yard run, scoring the first touchdown for Timnath High School in 63 years, during which he powered through four people's worth of contact to get to this milestone. Coltsack hit the PAT, and Timnath had their first lead of the season, being up 7-6 with 3 minutes 50 seconds left in the first. However, once back on defense, they got an encroachment call, which, in combination with not being effective at stopping the interior run, led to the Cubs not having great position. This game got more confusing when I realized that there was a third Tanner, as Tanner Mock got a solid tackle for loss. This helped shift momentum, which helped with the interior defense, which forced a fourth down and a punt. Hochhalter then had two straight solid carries, which was followed by a delay of game on the offense while they were figuring out positioning. Hochhalter then was stopped at the line of scrimmage to end the first quarter. Coming into the second quarter, Timnath really needed to improve their blocking. Despite Hochhalter getting a good stiff arm run in, the Cubs ended this drive at 4th and 10 on their 39. Kolsak went for the field goal attempt, which fell well short which became a turnover on downs with 10.36 left in the second. Tight end slash defensive lineman Xander Wood and lineman Cade Geist then shared a strong tackle for loss, which in combination with a good pass disruption by Mock, where he got within inches of the quarterback, forced a Wellington punt. An 18-yard run by Hochhalter was negated by a face mask call, which was then immediately brought back by Hochhalter. He turned a first and 20 into a third and two, and Coltsack was able to trick Wellington into an offsides call that got the Cubs a first down. Coltsack then threw a dot to Payne, who caught and ran for a 30-yard touchdown, the second one since the lava lamp was invented for Timnath. Coltsack then kicked another PAT, which was good with 7-11 left in the first half. They were then able to force in fourth and one with strong defense, which forced Wellington to throw. This throw was then intercepted by Braden Palea. Kolsak got the opportunity to show off his run game, which was successful. The 6-foot, 200-pound quarterback managed to gain 9 yards on his first carry of the game, which was followed by two carries by Hochhalter for the first down. However, a couple of almost throws, along with a strip on 4th and 2, resulted in a turnover on downs. On the ensuing play, Jack Naxtet got a good tackle for loss, but a pass interference lost that progress. Then, Hochhalter got another tackle for loss, followed by a tackle by Hochhalter off of a long run that put Timnath on their own 12 with under 30 seconds left in the half. Mock got within inches of the QB once more, with just enough pressure that Pelea caught another interception with just 6 seconds left in the half. Timnath then kneeled to close out the half and retain possession. Mitchell Dean Gellis caught the kickoff at the half and returned it for 20 yards, which was followed by a run by Hochhalter. Wellington committed pass interference on a pass that would have been caught by Payne, which gave Timnath the first down. Hochhalter got a first down, and then Coltsack got another good run on, after which I noticed something. The Timnath coaches are extremely expressive, and they wear their hearts on their sleeves. They make sure that the players have positive reinforcement, and deal with it correctly if someone needs a talking to, which is extremely positive for a really new program. The run by Coltsack led to a 4th and 1, which was converted by Hochhalter. On the next play, the Cubs were hit with an illegal procedure penalty, 
and Hochhalter then had a good run with spins and hit sticks, followed, unfortunately, by a run where he fumbled and lost the ball. He made up for it on defense when he made a tackle for loss, and the team rallied, forced an incompletion, another tackle for loss, and forced a punt from the Wellington red zone with 6.15 left in the third. A fair catch on the punt on the 40-ish yard line, followed by multiple short runs, led to a fourth and seven. Another delay of game on Timnath led to a punt rather than a field goal attempt, but the punt then got a penalty for blocking in the backfield, which I didn't even know was possible, and the Timnath coaches got very fired up about. The Cubs then allowed a 42-yard catch and run, Meyer Braden then got a good stop, and Hochhalter got another tackle for loss. However, they let in a touchdown, but Hochhalter had enough and was able to stop the conversion attempt off of that. Payne had another good return on the kickoff, followed by runs by Coltsack, but the run kept them short, leading to another punt, which was a touchback. Hochhalter got a stop to a 21-yard run, and on the very next play, freshman defensive back Dominic Giron caught an interception because Mock got within inches of Gray once again. Hochhalter got another first down, at which point I concluded that Hochhalter is a bull. He was dragging guys while they were hanging onto his legs, and two to three people were required to bring him down for good on any given play. Despite his efforts, though, Coltsack had to punt once again. Strong defense on the interior run slowed down Wellington. However, the Eagles were able to exploit weaker outside defense by the Cubs. Despite a defensive timeout with 4 minutes 5 seconds left in the game, Altschwager was let in with 3 minutes 13 left. The defense stopped Gray just short of the goal, but now the Cubs trailed 18-4. Nackstedt recovered the onside's kick, which led to an incomplete pass, which led to a short run, which led to an incomplete pass, which brought us to 4th and 7 with 2.41 left. Andrew Hamlin caught the pass and got a first down, but then another incompletion made the Cubs antsy. The next pass hit the intended receiver in the hands twice, and this bumble let an eagle get his talons around it for the technical interception. A clock error that brought the time to 1.45, sealed the deal for the Cubs. Now, on to our playmakers of the game for the Timnath Cubs. First, the defensive playmaker of the game. With two interceptions and extremely strong air coverage on the night, defensive back Braden Palia was able to heavily affect the Wellington offense. The Cubs broke out the anti-aircraft missiles, and that defense was spearheaded by Palia. It is because of him that the Cubs retained possession going into the second half, and is likely a large part of why the game stayed as close as it did for as long as it did. I just work hard in practice to get in my reps. I have to keep getting to my flat, said Pelea. Now, our offensive playmaker of the game. Alex Koltzak is a good quarterback. He ran well when he had to, was pretty good under pressure, threw well, and kicked with great effectiveness. The 6-foot, 210 sophomore has room to improve, but he did everything in his power to keep this team from losing. He made the right reads, it's just that sometimes they would hit guys in the head or hands. When things went wrong, they were largely out of his control. He was not sacked once. However, he needs to understand that with his size, 
he can bulldoze guys. There was a play where he could have stayed in and gotten a first down if he'd gone through contact, but he ran out of bounds instead, which was the difference between a turnover and what could have been a touchdown. And now for Timnith's playmaker of the game, Vince Hochhalter. Hochhalter was all over the field for Timnith tonight, and he proved that he should be in conversations for best sophomore linebackers in the state. Going into the game, he was ninth in the state across all levels in tackles with 42, and was the leader in 2A in the category. He was also fourth in 2A sophomores in terms of rushing yards heading into the matchup. He dominated both sides of the ball with four tackles for loss, many tackles in general, a touchdown, and a whole heck of a lot of yardage. He was the highest impact player for either team tonight, and Hoke Halter is definitely a guy to watch moving forward. I ask that all coaches and scouts listening give him a look. Now we move on to Wellington. The Eagles started this game with possession, and after a good first play, they almost lost the ball on a fumble, which was recovered by tailback-slash-center Lincoln Dalton. Cash Altsfogger then got a 14-yard run, which was followed by an 8-yard run by Dalton, which was followed by a 41-yard run by Altsfogger that resulted in a Wellington touchdown. However, the two-point conversion failed, and Wellington led with less than two minutes having passed in the first quarter. Following this, the Eagles were letting the run get through with little resistance before Tanner Gray got some good tackles, as did Tyler Schaefer, to stop the ball and force a turnover on downs. However, on the very first play of their second offensive possession, the line let a Timnith defender break through and get within inches. This pressure led to an interception by Timnith, so the ball was immediately going back the other way. On this drive, the Eagles were not able to stop Hochhalter, but they also weren't having to defend the air. This meant that the defense could collapse and focus on the interior. Tanner Smith had a good tackle on Hochhalter, which helped force a fourth and one, on which the Eagles called timeout. Fresh out of the timeout, they allowed a 16-yard running touchdown, and on the PAT, the Eagles got called for offsides, which halved the distance, putting Wellington down 7-6, with 3 minutes 50 seconds left in the first quarter. Once the Eagles were back on offense, Altschwager seemed unstoppable, but Cade Keller got tackled for loss on a second down, and a pitch to Altschwager got brought down at the line of scrimmage. This, in combination with a blocking in the back penalty, led to a punt. Schaefer got some good tackles, which, along with a tackle at the line of scrimmage, finished the first quarter strong for Wellington. Tanner Gray then opened the second quarter by playing some good, strong defense, which contributed to a turnover on downs. However, an illegal procedure penalty led to a first and 15. Gray then had an elite handoff fake, which led to an 18-yard gain by Altschwager. Lincoln Dalton picked up 12 yards on the next play, but Holding brought it back. Gray then got 14 yards, but a tackle for loss on Dalton brought it back to the line of scrimmage. A pitch to Altschwager, where he had multiple stiff arms, would have gained 24 yards, but an illegal motion call brought it back. After an incomplete pass intended for Altschwager, the Eagles called timeout with 9 minutes 1 second left in the second quarter. You heard that right. All of that action happened in the first 3 minutes of the second quarter. 
On fourth down, the Eagles punted, but the punt would not have made a first down. Once back on defense, Altschwager got some good tackles, along with Austin Virtue. Gray also showed a remarkable moment of leadership. After a tackle by one of his teammates, where the Wellington player that tackled started talking smack and getting in the face of Holkhalter, Gray physically pulled his teammate aside and talked to him, making sure it was understood not to do that. However, on a fourth and two, the line fell for an offside's lure, which then led to a 30-yard catch-and-go by Payne at the 7-11 mark in the second quarter. On the following kickoff, Houston Willite got a 50-yard return, followed by strong carries by Altschwager and Gray, who marched down the field for a while. Once more, though, there was an illegal procedure call, which led to a 4th and 6, and then a timeout with 5 minutes 14 seconds left in the first half. Straight out of the timeout, there was another interception on the throw. All of the throws for Wellington this game have either gone incomplete or were intercepted. However, the Eagles played strong defense and stripped Hochhalter on a 4th down to force a turnover on downs. Gray then ran through three guys' worth of contact and was eventually brought down for loss. There was a warning on the sideline, and after a short run by Altschwager, the Eagles got lucky. They got a pass interference call on a throw that went so far over a guy's head that he would have had to been staring on his own shoulders to get it. Dalton then got a 17-yard run, which was then followed by an ineligible man-downfield penalty. There was a long incompletion, which was foreshadowed by another interception with two seconds left in the half. At the start of the second half, it became evident that the biggest problem for Wellington is special teams. They had to redo kickoff three times due to two illegal procedure penalties, during which they swapped in Spanish exchange student Benyat Nor to kick. Following this, Tanner Smith got a couple of strong tackles, but a pass interference brought in a Timnith first down. Cameron Breedy and Tanner Gray collaborated on a tackle for loss, but Tanner Gray got a face mask call in the red zone that almost cost the Eagles the game. However, Gray made up for it on the next play by forcing and recovering a fumble with 7.39 in the third. Altschwager got tackled for loss, which was followed by an incompletion, and then Dalton was brought down on their own three, which forced the Eagles to punt on fourth and seven. They played strong defense and got the ball back, setting up Gray for a 42-yard pass to Altschwager. With a lot of good gains on the ground, Dalton was able to pull in a first down, but an incompletion to Willite and a couple of tackles for loss led to a third and eleven. Cade Keller was able to bring it within fourth and inches. However, an illegal shift negated that, making it fourth and five. Then, Gray threw a touchdown to Altschwager, but the Eagles fell short on the two-point conversion, making the game 12-14 to with two seconds left in the third quarter. After good defense, especially by Ian Allison, Tyler Schaefer, and Tanner Smith, the Eagles got back on offense, where Altschwager got a couple of good ground gains. On a throw, though, Gray threw another interception because the line let Timnith's Tanner get within inches again, which made the Eagles get back on defense. 
During this possession, Cameron Breed got a good tackle for loss, which contributed to the Eagles regaining the ball with six minutes left in the game. Dalton had a couple of good runs, but a pitch to Keller that went bad brought the game into jeopardy. A long run by Altschfacher brought the Eagles within field goal range, and after a short run by Gray, the Eagles called timeout with 3 minutes 19 left. After going back on the field, the Eagles called timeout with 3 minutes 19 seconds left to leave them with only one timeout for the rest of the game. Coming out of the second timeout, Altschwager ran for a touchdown with 3 minutes 13 seconds left. The two-point conversion failed, but the Eagles led 18-14. Nor kicked on sides, but it was recovered by the Cubs, who got into their two-minute offense efficiently. However, no longer being able to rely on Hulkhalter, the Eagles knew they had to defend the air, and to be completely honest, they had some good coverage and a lot of good luck. A lot of passes were dropped, and one bounced off of a Cubs head because he wasn't looking. Willite got in a pass deflection, which was followed by an interception. It bounced twice, and the Eagle reached out and grabbed it with the tip of his fingers to nab it. After Gray ran to get the ball back into enemy territory, the Eagles called timeout with 2 minutes 3 seconds left in the game. Then came 3 straight kneels until there were under 10 seconds left. As such, the Box Elder Cup is full of sweet beats for Wellington until next year. Now on to the winning team's playmakers of the game. First is linebacker Tyler Schaefer. Schaefer was very effective at stopping guys much larger than him. As a 5'9 freshman, his ability to slither between the O-line and work in the trenches is superb, with many tackles from loss coming from him at critical moments. Schaefer is a sneakily good defender, who you don't notice as an offensive player until he's already brought you down and is set up for the next possession. Schaefer says that, My game is about heart. Coach always says that you have to be the hammer and not the nail, and I work hard to be the hammer. The offensive playmaker of the game for the Eagles is Lincoln Dalton. The Timnath defense suffocated the air attack, which made it so that the ground was all that could be relied upon during this game, and Lincoln Dalton delivered. The tailback brought up a lot of first downs in big moments, along with getting many smaller but still solid gains that kept the Eagles in this game late. He also helped provide an alternative to the playmaker of the game, and was sort of a pressure relief valve, which is always good to have. Schaefer says that, I always have to be ready, because sometimes I need to step up. This game is about stepping up. And the playmaker of the game for the Wellington Eagles is Cash Altschwager. Altschwager came into this game ranked 6th across all classifications in rushing yards, and he is likely to move up that leaderboard after this game. I already said a lot last week about Altschwager's ability to make plays, but the brightest stars shine in the biggest moments, and Altschwager proved tonight that he is a bright star. He made a lot of clutch runs, and his coverage as free safety helped during Timnath's two-minute offense. Altschwager had all three touchdowns for the Eagles tonight, but he was stopped short on his two-point conversion attempts. Altschwager said that, We need to practice our conversions so that we will not be denied in the end zone. We need to practice our ground and pound. To summarize this game, this is one of the few games where the box score tells the story. For three quarters of this game, Timnath was in relative control. 
There was only so much that they could do to shut down Altschwager and Grey, but they managed to control them and the peripheral pieces enough that this was competitive. Timnith still made a lot of young team mistakes, don't get me wrong, but they're improving fast. If this game was any indication, they will likely win a couple of games towards the end of the season. They will face a tough matchup with the University Bulldogs on October 1st, but they have a lot of time until then to improve. They have a lot of good coaching staff and the right, let's go out there and kill someone, I actually heard a guy say that, attitude, that I think they are trending upwards a lot more than their record suggests. Now, there is a discipline problem, and that goes for both teams. Between the two teams, there were a total of 18 penalties that I counted, which I dare say isn't good. The Eagles had their fair share of mistakes as well, the aforementioned penalties and their special teams being the main dark spots. The special teams unit struggled, but the addition of Norb kicking made things much easier. Furthermore, if they had converted one of their two-point conversions, the game would have been tied going into the fourth quarter, which would have made this game a lot lower stakes in the moment. The air attack got shut down very quickly, which is something to keep an eye on, but with the running ability of Gray, Dalton, and Altschwager, they should have enough of a skill buffer to be able to develop it as the season goes on. The Eagles move on to play the Valley Vikings next week, which after watching the Valley vs. Manitou game last week, I believe is going to be an interesting affair. The Vikings were very good at shutting down Tyler Maloney in the second half during last Saturday's game, so this will be a good litmus test on how Gray's top half performs. The Cubs move to 0-4, and the Eagles improve to 3-1. To summarize the stats for Timnath, Alex Kolzak had three completions on nine attempts for 41 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Davis Payne had one rushing attempt for a yard on the night. Alex Kolzak had five rushing attempts for 17 yards. Vince Hochhalter had 39 rushing attempts for 179 yards and one touchdown. Receiving-wise, Davis Payne had two receptions totaling 32 yards and a touchdown, and Andrew Hamlin had one completion for nine yards and no touchdowns. Defensively of note, Dominic Giron had an interception and ran six yards with it. Evan Vaza had an interception and didn't make it too far with that one. Tanner Mock had three solo tackles, one tackle assist, a sack for a yard, and a hurry. Vince Hochhalter had 14 solo tackles, nine tackle assists, totaling for 23 tackles, and five of those were for loss. Two hurries, no interceptions. Braden Pelea had two solo tackles, five tackle assists for seven total tackles, and two interceptions. Mitchell Dean Gellis had four tackles solo, one tackle assist for five in total. Cade Geist had one solo, four tackle assists for five in total. Alexander Wood had four tackle assists for four total, and Jack Nextet had two solo tackles and four tackle assists for six total. In terms of special teams, Davis Payne had two kickoff receptions for 57 yards. Jack Nackstedt had one kickoff reception for a yard. And Mitchell Dean Gillis had one kickoff reception for 21 yards. 
Alex Koltzak had three punts for 127 yards, three kickoffs for 165 yards, and two extra point attempts. Best of luck to both teams during the rest of this season. All right. Now let's keep it going here. Let's go ahead and talk about the Saturday games here. Uh, we do have a couple I want to talk about here. We have George Washington versus Kennedy. Um, they beat him 38-12. to 12. Uh, Like you said, Holyoke beat Hershey 30-19. 32-19. Vista Ridge playing Falcon here. Beats them again. 57-15. Braden Dorman 12-18. 273 passing yards. 5 passing touchdowns. B.B. Hills, seven receptions, 187 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns here. Lucky enough for Falcon, those two are seniors, so that's the last time they will ever play. So there you go. Then we got Cheyenne Mountain versus Centennial, uh, Pueblo Centennial here. Kind of a thriller here. Pueblo Centennial actually led 14-0 at halftime, but Cheyenne Mountain's Bruce Archibald found Gabriel Lucas for a big-time 81-yard touchdown pass with seven minutes left in the third. Then Cheyenne Mountain would recover a fumble with five minutes left in the third, which would eventually lead to a Zach Johnson rushing touchdown with three minutes left in the third to tie this one up. Then at the two-minute mark still in the third quarter, Cheyenne Mountain would get a safety to take the lead, and they would not look back as they defeat Centennial 16-14. to here now the next game i'm gonna talk about wasn't close at all air academy beat sierra 48 to 7 so that happened uh gunnison would upset buena vista 21 to 20 here's how it went down Peyton fries for gunnison would score a touchdown taking the 7-0 lead with two minutes left in the first quarter after that hayden camp would tie the game with a rushing touchdown making it sevens after a long drive uh, with six minutes left in the second quarter then Gunnison would pass for a touchdown, taking a 14-7 lead with two minutes left here in the half, I believe. But a Gunnison interception would end up one of Vista drive right before half, so that happened. But doesn't matter as Jacob Phelps rips off a 49-yard touchdown with two minutes left in the third to tie this one. Hayden Camp will then lead another good drive for Buena Vista and cap it off with a touchdown and the lead, making it 20-14 here. Um, did miss a field goal or missed a PAT, but, you know, it happens. Then Gunnison, with the ball, would drive and eventually find themselves in a 4th and 10 situation but would convert the 4th and 10 situation for a first down and keep it going. And at this point, they're on the Buena Vista 9-yard line. And after using a lot of the clock, Gunnison would eventually pass for a touchdown, tying up this game. And then the extra point would give them the lead and ultimately the game as Gunnison upsets Buena Vista 21-20. to now, the last game I'm going to talk about real quick here before we get into some of these recaps from Saturday. Uh, Gateway, they beat Liberty 41-0. This is Gateway's first win since their playoff game in the spring of 2021 against Harrison and their first fall win since Aurora Central on October 11th, 2019. So good for Gateway there and uh, shout out to them. Now, the next couple games I got here, uh, I got Banning Lewis Academy versus Bennett. Once that game uh, actually ended up being a little bit of a thriller, so that was a good 1A, 2A matchup there. Speaking of 1A, 2A matchups, Gideon went to Platte Valley versus Wiggins, so he'll talk about that. And then at the end here, Cody will talk about Denver North versus Northfield. 
So there you go. You're going to hear those here in a minute. Okay, so one of the last football games of the weekend, a 1A matchup between Banning Lewis Academy and Bennett. Banning Lewis, you know, started the season 2-0 pretty strong here, but then just got blown out by Yuma, so now they're 2-1 going into this game. And then you got Bennett, you know, they went 2-0, had a bye, and so they're fresh coming into this game. So here's how this go down. Bennett, they receive, start on the 35, and you know what? They go ahead and rely on this run game. Connor Rayburn and Isaac Copeland doing their thing, um, just absolutely carving up this Banning Lewis Academy team. Um, number seven, Rayburn, he had a nice 15-yard game up the middle, um, and then a couple other nice runs up the middle. Nice toss here, too. I believe it was Isaac Copeland. And uh, when all was said and done, they were basically in the red zone. Isaac Copeland would set up uh, this next play with a nice eight-yard rush on a toss left. And then it would go ahead and be uh, number seven, Connor Rayburn, who would go ahead and get the first down, just barely, but make it like first and goal. It's like first and five or something like that at this point. Doesn't matter, though, as Isaac Copeland goes ahead and ends this drive with a touchdown on the dive. And you know what? They would go for two. Bennett, interesting enough, does not kick any extra points. At least in this game, they did not. So every extra point or, you know, point after was a two-point conversion. And this time, they did not get it. So still, though, they take a 6-0 lead with about 9 minutes, 41 seconds left left in this quarter. So there you go there. Now, Banning Lewis Academy, they take over on the 38 here. Um, and they have some struggles early on here. Does bring up a third and four, but doesn't matter. Liam Kitzmiller on the sweep left gets a first down, gets them to about midfield. Then number two, Chase Real. Uh, kind of had a nice game here. Gets a nice 20-yard reception on the rollout from the quarterback that goes ahead and puts them in the red zone. But Bennett's defense stands strong. They do that by making a huge tackle for loss play on first down. That would go ahead and push them back just a little bit here. Then an incompletion. Great defense here to Ben Early. Brings up third and ten. After that, number 15 for Banning Lewis Academy. That is their quarterback here. Uh, that is Sam Bell. He goes ahead and takes off, scrambles. Uh, for a little bit, gets the five-yard line, but is stopped short, obviously, of the first down and of the touchdown. And so that brings up fourth and five, and Banning Lewis, they decide to go for it. They're right here in the red zone, but Bennett, they bring the pressure on the quarterback. It's a pass play and force an incompletion. Great play by this Bennett defense as a whole, really as a unit. They did a good job there on that fourth down. And so just like that, Bennett goes ahead and takes over here with about five minutes 26 seconds left here in the first quarter and so here's how it goes down it is the isaac copeland show to start this drive gets a lot of really tough physical runs right up the middle pretty much here that goes ahead and brings bennett to about midfield um at around the 50 or so a couple plays later it is third and five um banning lewis kind of catching on stopping the run just a little bit here but bennett they go ahead and call pass play here and pass it to number seven that is connor rayburn who was tackled just short but gets a nice gain here of about a four or five and so that brings up fourth and one almost fourth and inches 
Doesn't matter, as Bennett goes ahead and punches it up the middle to cross midfield and to get another first down, keeping this drive alive, using up a lot of the clock, by the way. Now, Bennett, they're sticking to the run here, and so they're running it up the middle. Isaac Copeland, he's doing their thing, but after a run up the middle, it brings up a third and seven situation. Bennett, they're not quite in the red zone. They are just outside, like outside the 25. They're around 28 yard line or so and so uh bennett you know they go ahead and decide to go for it after their third down play which by the way makes a fourth and three and so that's why they go for it here um they run the ball up the middle like they did the last play and they're stuffed and so banning loose academy starts on the 37 here with about 35 seconds left here in the first quarter and nothing really happens and so let's just go ahead and go into the second quarter where an incompletion on second down brings up a third and 10 but a huge sack by number 20 isaac copeland who's just making a lot of plays this game goes ahead and kills the vibes of this drive and brings up fourth down and a punt here and so bennett takes over around on the 35 um well actually it was a muffed punt uh muff snap on the punt and so they actually take over on the banning lewis academy 35 going in so there you go but unfortunately on the first play there's a holding call play so it's first and 20 and then the toss play the call after that is tackled for a loss so it's second and 23 then they throw a screen pass i believe you know they get some yardage they get positive yardage for the first time this drive and so that makes it third and 20 but then they go ahead and hand it off to number four james newton who makes a play and gets a big 20 plus yard run to go ahead and put them in the red zone for the first down him kind of bailing them out of um you know the team's previous mistakes on that drive excellent play by him then they run it up the middle uh run it outside so two short runs Brings up third and nine, Banning Lewis Academy plays that. Well, then it is a number seven. That is Connor Rayburn. Um, they have him on the sweep right, and he goes 15 plus yards to the house for a big time touchdown, making plays. Those two big plays by Connor Rayburn and by James Newton would go ahead and salvage this drive here and make the best out of a great opportunity that Banning Lewis Academy, you know, I mean, they just messed up dropping that snap there so there you go uh they do get the two-point conversion by the way running it right up the middle and so they lead 14 to 0 with about 8 minutes 51 seconds left here in this first half now banning lewis academy they're trying to get something going and so they go ahead and give the ball to chase real who's one of their best athletes by the way only a sophomore and he gets two first downs on his own on some big runs but eventually a couple plays later a couple incompletions later brings up a fourth and three and you guess number 20 of bennett isaac copeland makes a play makes another play and gets a huge sack on fourth down forcing a turnover on downs and he's not done yet as on offense he continues his reign of terror gets a sweep for nine yards um a dive after that would go ahead and give them a first down but then he runs it up the middle gets another first uh consecutive first down here on a 10 plus yard rush here um crossing midfield by the way and then banning loose academy they um, they go off sides so that they call encroachment there and so it's a first and five 
extremely manageable. He runs it up the middle for another first down. Then number four, uh, James Newton for Bennett gets a long 15-plus yard run that puts them in the red zone. Um, they run it up the middle a couple of times, doesn't work out. So it brings up a fourth and five eventually after a couple dive plays. And you know what? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Number 20, his uh, uh, name is called, his number is called again. And that's a dive right up the middle for Isaac Copeland. And he goes ahead, punches it in for a touchdown and a 20 to 0 lead. Um, they don't get the two point conversion, but still a commanding 20 to 0 lead with about 2 minutes 19 seconds left in this game. Now, Bennett, they try to kick an onside kick, doesn't work out. They're at the 45. But it doesn't matter as Bennett's defense forces a fumble here and then they go ahead and scoop this one up. They almost dove on it, which would have been the wrong play because they had a lot of room. But luckily enough, Tristan Kronk, number 25, scoops this fumble up and goes 40 plus yards to the house for a touchdown just like that taking a huge lead here um they don't get the two-point conversion so no worries about that and so they're up 26 to 0 Benning lewis they try to get something going here but another huge sack on third and 11 uh will bring up fourth and 13 and they're not able to convert that and so bennett they take over on the 11 with 40 seconds left and they go ahead and run this clock out here and so going into halftime Bennett with a commanding 26-0 lead, making the most out of all the opportunities their defense is giving them, whether it's a stop on fourth down, fumbles, all that great stuff. This Bennett offense is taking advantage of those opportunities. Now, Banning Lewis Academy, they're not quite out of it. You know, they've had a couple drives here and there that you know showed promise but ultimately at this point they got to stop with their own mistakes because they're killing themselves at this point and so to start the half they do receive um they actually get started on the 45 not the greatest kick here uh doesn't matter though as eventually here number three for them that's liam kitzmiller jr gets a huge and a very nice 36 yard uh touchdown run to the house there uh, Bennett, though, still leads with about, you know, 10 minutes, 31 seconds here. But you know what? Bennett, they go ahead and reply back and return the kick 50-plus yards to the house for a touchdown, taking a nice 32-7 lead here, a commanding 32-7 lead here. Now, I'm not going to lie. I definitely thought about leaving, but I'm glad I did not as Banning Lewis Academy continued to battle here. Had a very long drive, but they eventually capped it off with a touchdown pass to number six junior uh, wide receiver tight end Ben Early. Goes ahead and gets a touchdown there, but they go ahead and kick the PAT and it is blocked. It is just a low kick, um, which is interesting because the last one was definitely not. And so, you know, they still cut into this lead, but Bennett still leads 32 to 17. But then Banning Lewis Academy, they get the onside kick. They kick the onside kick and they get it with about four minutes, 50 seconds left here in this third quarter. And so here's how it goes down from there. Chase Reel gets a huge 20 plus yard rush to go ahead and put them on the nine here in the red zone. But unfortunately, a holding penalty on Banning Lewis Academy kills the vibe of this drive. Eventually brings up fourth and seven. Doesn't matter though, as they do call... Uh, Almost the same exact play to Ben Early 
here, but it is deflected. The pass is deflected, that is. Um, great coverage by this Bennett corner. And so that's a turnover on down. So Bennett, they take over with about 2 minutes, 27 seconds left here in the third. They're trying to run out the clock, obviously, but... Bennett, they fumbled the ball, and they give Banning Lewis Academy the ball in the red zone, basically, with about a minute left here in the third. And Banning Lewis Academy, they do not take that opportunity for granted, as on a sweep play, it's number three, Liam Kitzmiller, who goes ahead and scores a huge touchdown for them, cutting into this lead. Now, they decide to go for two here, run a slant route. Hey, it's deflected again. <laughs> Maybe run something that's not a slant route. But doesn't matter. They still cut into this lead. It is 32 to 19. Um, with about 20 seconds left here in the third quarter. So still definitely a competitive game here. Even though Banning Lewis Academy is kind of just working against themselves at this point here. Now, Bennett is also working against themselves at this point here, as I don't believe they've crossed the 50 at all in the third quarter uh, with the drive. I think they only had one or two drives that they had, so there you go there. But to start the fourth quarter, Bennett, they start near midfield around the 45-ish or so. Not quite across, though. Uh, and so they go ahead and dial it up. They're trying to put this team away, as they should. And so... Huge credit to their quarterback, number 21. That is Carson Hawkins dialing it up to his guy, number 25, Tristan Kronk. And he throws it deep, and Tristan, he runs underneath that throw. Beautiful throw that kind of just catches Banning Lewis Academy off guard as he is wide open. And that is a 40-plus yard touchdown extending the Bennett lead. They go ahead and get the two-point conversion as well. And so at this point, they lead 40-19. to 19. With 11 minutes, 16 seconds left in this game. That is a 21-point lead. At this point, it's basically over. But Banning Lewis Academy, you know, they want to go ahead and keep fighting. Um, but not on this next drive, exactly, as they do punt it back to Bennett. Uh, and so, you know, there you go there. But Bennett, though, they get stopped short. On fourth and six, and so they don't punt it on fourth down. They decide to go for it, and so they're stopped short there. And so Banning Lewis Academy ultimately takes over on the 43 with about seven minutes, ten seconds left there. I just summed up the last four minutes of the game with those two punts there. So there you go. Um, but they do get a little bit of a break here, so they run it for about a, I would say a 10-ish yard gain here. Um, but they go ahead and tag on a 15-yard penalty on that that is thrown on Bennett. That's a personal foul penalty, by the way. Um, and so it's still first down, but that goes ahead and puts them on the 13. A couple plays later, it is fourth and two. They're on the goal line here. And so to cap off this drive, Chase Real keeps banning Lewis's academy hopes alive here. Runs it right up the middle for a touchdown making it a two-score game here it is 40 to 26 um they make the pat they kick it uh, and so it's good it's 40 to 26 with about four minutes 58 seconds left now they kick it bennett they take over on the 40 they get a nice return here but it is third down here they are obviously running the ball and there is another fumble, and Banning Lewis once again recovers this fumble with about 4 minutes and 15 seconds left in this game. 
And so to start this drive, it is number three. Liam Kitzmiller comes up with a huge play here, ripping off a 35-yard run, having to reverse fields and juke people and doing his thing. And so that goes in and puts them on the 10 on a huge run there. And you know what? Baiting Lewis Academy, they stay in this thing, and they go ahead and punch it right up the middle. Could not see who it was exactly, but they punch it up the middle, making it a one-score game. But then they go to kick the extra point to make it a seven-point game. And once again, it is blocked here. And so there you go. Still, though, an eight-point game. Bennett does lead with about three minutes, 12 seconds left. I believe Banning Lewis Academy has one timeout. So this is definitely a game here, um, a one-score game here. And so here's how it goes down. Uh, Banning Lewis, they go ahead and kick off. Bennett, they take over on the 30. Um, a couple plays later, it is third down. Doesn't matter. Bennett gets the first down, a key first down. Uh, and then they call a timeout, which is interesting, with about 2 minutes 14 seconds left. A couple run plays later, it is third and 12 here. Uh, Baiting Lewis Academy calls a timeout with about 120 seconds left here before the third down play. And so uh, Bennett... They're not trying to do anything crazy here. They run the ball, but Banning Lewis Academy, led by Braden Skinner, I believe it was actually Braden Skinner, goes ahead and nails the running back in the backfield, making it a very long fourth and 16 here. And so at this point, you know, they, they called a run play here, so the clock is rolling. They let the clock roll out, and then Bennett calls a timeout here uh, right before, you know, they get a um delay of game penalty and so there's about 40 seconds ish uh, 42 43 seconds left here in this game bennett obviously it is fourth and 16 here and so it comes down to this play and so bennett it looks like they're gonna go for a punt they line up in punt formation but they call a fake punt pass on fourth and 16 here they find a wide open receiver and it's him one-on-one -on -one going for the first down and the defender definitely pushes him um you know he can't exactly tackle him but he pushes him and this receiver does quite a tightrope act here and it looks pretty close here in my opinion i'm gonna give my opinion first it looked like he was short because it was 4th and 16 and whatnot. And so he had a bit of a ways to go here. Um, and so he does get pushed and whatnot. And kind of craziness happens. And so I thought he was short. The ref originally, one of the refs originally signaled a first down. But another ref definitely said he was short. The refs obviously talk about it there, you know. But at this point, the chains are already moved up from the spot they were at. Um, they, they were definitely moved up to simulate a first down here. And so by the time the refs say, hey, we should probably measure this, they have to move the chains back. So I just want to make sure I get all of this right, all the facts out there right. And so they move the chains back so that they could measure whether where the player stepped out was actually a first down or not. You know, and so it was really interesting. I mean, they had the spot down and marked and whatnot. Um, 
but you know I, I don't know if they exactly got the chains right in the same position because it was inches at this point and so they go ahead and say that it is a first down Bennett and just like that the game is basically over and so final score here of this thrilling game where Bennett almost came back and won is 40 or sorry, Baiting Lewis Academy almost came back and won. Is 40 to 32. Bennett getting another dub and going 3-0. I'm just gonna be honest, you know, I do have the replay of it. It looks like the player stepped out of bounds. There were at least three or four times he could have stepped out of bounds there. Um, where it did not look like there was green in between his cleat and the sideline and then obviously there's the whole fiasco with the chains being moved up before the refs obviously came to an agreement together um one ref signaling a first down the other ref saying it was short at one point banning loose academy was reeling out their offense because they thought they got uh the stop there and so it was it was kind of craziness at the end there you know what i'm gonna go ahead and post uh, some of that footage on our tiktok so if you want to check that out you can check it out there and make a decision for yourself doesn't matter though as bennett is still 3-0 40-32 they played a relatively they played a really clean game in the first half i should say in the second half i mean you lost an onside kick you had two fumbles um that were not only forced but recovered by banning lewis academy and so they they kind of gave them a lot of opportunities to come back also, you called a fake punt on 4th and 16. Was that the right play? Obviously, because you won it. You got it there. But it also wouldn't have killed you to punt it, you know. And then you stop this Banning Lewis Academy passing attack, which they were already doing um, at least half of the time in this game. So it would have been a toss-up. Plus, they would have had to get the extra point or two-point conversion to tie this one anyways. And so Bennett probably would have won this game anyways. Um, Banning Lewis Academy, they shot themselves in the foot way too many times for them to win it. You know, uh, two missed extra points here. They got into the red zone, I believe, two times in this game and did not come away with any points. Um, a lot of credit to this better defense playing great, though. You know, they stopped them from doing that, but also they were aware of what plays they were going to run there. And so it was a pretty crazy game, but Bennett, you know, they go 3-0. Banning Lewis Academy, now they are 2-2. Two and two. I mean, at this point, they kind of got to win out to make the playoffs. They got Payton, Rocky Ford, Colorado Springs Christian, Rye, Ellicott. Those are all league games from here on out. They got to win those games to make the playoffs. So we will see how that goes down there. Uh, Bennett, on the other hand, you know, very good 3-0 start. They play Strasburg next week at home. So that should be a good one. Um, and then after that, I mean, they are in 2A. And so they do get Prospect Ridge Academy, Devlin, Platte Valley, Valley, Wellington. Those are all league games. And you have a couple of tough league games here, um, especially after that Strasburg game, which is going to be a tough game in itself. But I'm looking at Platte Valley, Wellington. You know, those are definitely teams that could be uh, some trouble. Devlin is definitely a team that could possibly be some trouble. But you know what? We'll see. For now, they are 3-0. I do want to give a lot of credit to number 20, Isaac Copeland, before I end this segment. Bro was everywhere, you know? Like I said, I don't have the stats right now and whatnot, but he was 
a lot of their offense, not their entire offense, but a lot of it, I would say it's fair to say he was the engine running up the middle, being physical, doing his thing. And that linebacker, he had a number of sacks that either ended drives or would lead to ending drives. And then the pressure he would put on um, this quarterback here would force a couple incompletions that would end a couple drives there as well. And so easily player of the game if I had to pick one for this one here for Bennett. He played a heck of a game. A lot of respect to them. But there you go there. Final score once again. Bennett 40. Banning Lewis Academy 32. Hello beautiful people. Once more this is Gideon. And now I'm going to cover Saturday. September 17th's matchup. Between the 10th ranked in 2A. Platte Valley Broncos. And the 5th ranked in 1A. Wiggins Tigers. This was supposed to be a close clash of the Titans. Instead, we got... not that. Platte Valley started this game with possession, and starting sophomore QB Talon Short did a pretty good job, as he was able to return the opening kickoff for 30 yards. This was Short's first ever career start, and so I believe he performed pretty well. On two of the ensuing plays after kickoff, Short handed the ball off to Justin Fonbacher, both of which were tackled at the line of scrimmage. Short then managed to get the ball to the 35, where the run stopped working. Short then passed to Ethan Johnson and a third and 10 for the touchdown with 8 minutes 43 seconds left in the first. Zachary Burton hit the PAT to pull the Broncos above the Tigers 7-0. On defense, a tackle by Jeremiah Molinar started the possession strong, and the Broncos had good run defense. Despite a 35-yard throw connecting, the Broncos had good air coverage as well. Wiggins started to rely on the ground, which allowed the Platte Valley defense to collapse on the interior. However, they were not able to stop a strong run by Wiggins, and they forfeited a touchdown. The PAT was good, which meant that the game was tied with a little over 5 minutes left in the first. Unfortunately for Platte Valley, this is the last time that this game was close. Short had another good kickoff return, but a holding call made it so that the Broncos started on their own 19. A pitch to Fonbacher gave Platte Valley a short gain, but a pass over the receiver's head made the next play a dud. On the following play, a bobbled snap seemed to almost be the end of it, but Short managed to hang onto the ball and run for 16 yards until he was pushed out of bounds. The line simply stopped working for Platte Valley, and the run was getting smothered, and the defensive line kept getting within breathing distance of Short, which didn't give him much room. Short almost got sacked, and the Broncos had a third and 13. Despite luring the Tigers offsides, the run got smothered, and Platte Valley had to punt. On this punt, Burton got good distance, but the Platte Valley sideline got a warning. Runs were getting through for short to medium gains, but the Broncos' defense was solid. Brody White was able to get a tackle that forced fourth down. However, the Tigers were able to get a first down on a run, and the first quarter ended. The Broncos entered the second quarter with good air coverage. White had another tackle, and the defense was all-around solid. This did not stop a 43-yard touchdown pass by Wiggins with 10-16 left in the half, but PV decided to switch it up and brought in junior quarterback Howdy Johnson for short. 
However, this did not work, as this drive had a third and eight on the first set, and while the run wasn't working, the Broncos fumbled the ball and lost possession. They then allowed a QB run, but good pressure and a few tackles made it seem like the drive may go Flat Valley's way. The Tigers had something to say about that and managed to run in a touchdown and a conversion with 7.28 left in the half. Von Becker managed to get a couple of runs in, and Howdy Johnson threw to Josh Eagleton to make a third and short, which Von Becker was able to convert. White tried to run, but this was tackled for loss, and an incomplete pass brought up third and 11. Another incompletion forced the Broncos to punt with it going out at the 45. A face mask on the first play was not great, but pass coverage by Julian Salazar Marquez made up for it. However, they let through another running touchdown with 2 minutes 30 seconds left in the half, which isn't great. The Broncos then failed to catch the kickoff, which ended up making it to the 16-yard line. There was a foul on the dead ball that brought it up to the 29, and Molinar made a short run, and a face mask brought up a first down. An incomplete pass made a pitch from Howdy to Short the best option, which got a short run. A pass interference brought up another first down, which brought it to the 48. However, this resulted in Wiggins getting the ball. Bryant Beeman was able to get a tackle for loss, which forced a third and 14, which allowed an incompletion, which got Platte Valley the ball back. Howdy Johnson then threw the Ethan Johnson for a first down, and after a timeout with 9.2 seconds left in the half, Howdy and Ethan connected for another first down to close out the second quarter. Coming out of halftime, Platte Valley's kick was a short one, but a good tackle for loss by Cody Helms made up for it. This allowed the Broncos to force a punt, which Salazar Marquez returned. Then there were some long incompletions and a forced punt. Then, while White tried to bring Platte Valley back into the game, the Broncos allowed another touchdown with 5 minutes 37 left in the third. Howdy got in a couple of good runs but incompletions, a pass knocked out of his hands and then recovered, and a sack brought it to 3rd and 23. A pass brought in 4th and 18, after which the Broncos punted. Nicholas Newman was able to get a stop at the line of scrimmage, and Ethan Johnson kept getting tackles, but they were on 5-7 to seven yard gains. The Broncos could not stop the run, and the third quarter came to a close. Short opened up the fourth quarter by showing that he could tackle as well, and Hagen Jackson managed to get a tackle for loss on the six-yard line. However, with the ball that close and with how this game had been going, another tutty got in with 10 minutes left in the contest. Short got another kickoff return for a good gain, but the O-line kept letting the D-line apply pressure to Howdy, allowing a sack. Howdy threw to Short once again for a gain of 8, and he converted on a 4th and 5. However, following an incompletion, a penalty, and a long incompletion, Howdy had to deal with a second and 25 that turned into third and 15. After an incomplete pass to Ethan Johnson, Burton punted once more, and they managed to force a turnover on downs and get the ball back. However, once more, long incompletions due to pressure put the Broncos in a bad spot. Short managed to get a 20-yard run, but a fumble gave away the ball. The Broncos forced another turnover on downs, and after a timeout with 29 seconds left in the game, down 44-7, to 
Howdy threw a touchdown to Wyatt Meyer to beat the buzzer and end the game 13-44. The offensive playmaker of the game for the Platte Valley Broncos is Talon Short. Short started the night at quarterback, but the sophomore was most effective as a tailback to Howdy Johnson's QB. With six kickoff returns totaling 111 yards, 20 yards in the air, 56 yards running, and 15 passing yards, Short totaled 202 yards in the night, the best of any player on Platte Valley. Adding in his passing touchdown to our playmaker of the game, Short made his impact felt. The playmaker of the game and defensive player of the game for Platte Valley was Ethan Johnson. The 6'1 senior had 51 receiving yards and a touchdown on the night, along with kicking an extra point. That is not where his impact was most felt, however. Ethan Johnson was most impactful on defense, as he was out there doing everything for the Broncos, getting tackles for loss, stopping long runs, and putting pressure on the quarterback. He was a bright spot for the Broncos for sure. I have to do my job right every single time and control what I can says Ethan Johnson. Now on to Wiggins' side of this game. In the first quarter, Wiggins came in with an energy not like one I've seen in a while. Even despite the bus ride, they were energized as could be. Kicker Omar Perez got a very good kickoff and Jorge Mendez got the opening tackle. Cole Kerr got a good tackle in as well, but this was followed by a 35-yard run. Trey Feske managed to get a tackle for loss, and Pepper Rusher got a good pull-down tackle as well. Despite good air coverage, a touchdown still got in, putting the Tigers down by seven early. Julio Flores received the first pass by Kerr once back on offense, but some bad runs brought in third and five. Kerr rolled outside and threw a 35-yard pass, which was followed by a four-yard run by Joseph Stone. Kerr was able to get in a long run of his own for a first down, which was bolstered by a run by Flores, who then got another six-yard run, this time for a touchdown. A PAT by Perez tied this game with 5 minutes 26 seconds left in the first. Alan Carrasco pushed out the kickoff return, which was followed by good tackles to stop runs. Grant Reed and Rusher managed to share a four-yard tackle for loss, but the team fell for an offsides lure which negated that. However, that was still a third and eight, which led to a forced punt. After a couple short runs, Wiggins had a third and four, and Kerr ran again to make it fourth and inches, and once again for the first down on the QB sneak. However, penalties brought the ball back to the previous first down marker. Flores was able to make it second and short through a lot of contact, but the Tigers ended the first quarter with a false start. Once in the second quarter, the Tigers got back to work. Kerr threw a 43-yard catch-and-go to Fisheki, Cameron Schmidt got a good run, and Kerr threw to Fisheki again for a 12-yard touchdown. Due to wind, the PAT then fell no good with 10 minutes 13 seconds left in the first half. After an encroachment call, Americo Lorenzini was able to get a tackle for loss, and the Tigers forced a fumble. The fumble was then recovered by Flores. Kerr ran for a first down, Mendez got a five-yard run, and Flores ran himself into a two-piece meal, that being a touchdown and the conversion with 7.28 in the half. At first, on defense this following drive, the air defense was a bit iffy, 
but a tackle by Flores, a shared tackle by J.R. Meyer and Fasecki, and Kerr getting a deflection forced a punt. Flores kept getting good runs, with a good one being brought down by a face mask gaining 15, and a lot of good movement that got him another combo meal with 2 minutes 30 seconds left in the half. After penalties on the kickoff and on a face mask, the Tigers called a timeout with 1 minute 15 seconds left. After a pass interference, Omar Perez caught an interception on the very next play to give Wiggins back the ball. Kerr threw a pass to Perez that made it 50 yards before being brought down. However, after runs and passes that got nowhere quick, and timeouts with 27 and 22 seconds left respectively, the Tigers turned the ball over on downs after a would-be touchdown pass brushed Flores' fingertips. After a few quick throws allowed to Ethan Johnson, the half ended with the Tigers up 29-7. After a good return, two straight runs that fell short led to a third and ten, and after a long incomplete pass, there was another punt. A face mask on the return put a bitter taste in the Tigers' mouths, but a tackle for loss by Rusher made it a bit better. A sack by Tyler Dilka only made it even better. This led to Wiggins getting the ball back, during the first set of downs of which there were multiple incompletions. Kerr had a 21-yard throw to Fasecki, which would have been a touchdown, but it went out of bounds on a spin. After Kerr made a good run, he then threw a long pass to Perez for a touchdown. Flores then converted to increase the lead to 30, with 5 minutes 37 seconds left in the third. The Tigers then played good defense, evidenced by a forced fumble along with a sack by Schmidt. Perez got a bad cramp, but only after a play forcing 4th and 19, where the Broncos punted. Rusher then got hurt on offense, which was followed by a first down. Flores got a 15-yard carry, and Jacob Doran got a first down, along with another carry to end the third quarter. Mendez started the fourth quarter with a couple of good runs, including one that brought up third and one on the six-yard line. After a timeout with 10 minutes, five seconds left, Jason Lausberg caught a touchdown, and Perez put in the PAT with 10 minutes left. From here out, it is mostly a preview of the years to come for Wiggins, as a lot more of their JV guys were in the game. Many guys got close to the QB during the following possession, including Lorenzini, who got a sack. They had all-around solid defense, and after a good pressure by Carrasco, the Tigers forced a punt. Meyer dropped it, but recovered it. Dilka got a good 17-yard run, after which Marcus Steinbar was put in at QB on a fourth down. This led to a turnover on downs on fourth and eight. Carrasco almost got a sack, which resulted in a fumble, which was recovered by Dilka. After two straight false start calls, Steinbar showed that he actually has wheels with a 20-yard run on 2nd and 20 to force a first down. However, they then got a turnover on downs, and during the final possession, Dilka got a sack to close out the game for Wiggins before the buzzer-beating touchdown. Now, on to the playmakers of the game for the Wiggins Tigers. First, the defensive playmaker of the game, Pepper Rusher. Pepper Rusher, along with having an extremely fun name to say, is an extremely effective defensive end. At 6'2", 210 pounds, the senior led the Tigers in tackles for loss and had 5 on the night. 
His presence was a large reason of why the run game did not work for Platte Valley, and the air coverage made them force the ground, which let Rusher feast. The number of tackles that he had does not truly state his impact. Nobody could really get past him, and for a lot of the night, it looked to me like Platte Valley was doubling him. For a defensive player to be that effective that you gotta double him, especially in a blowout type of game like this, he deserves defensive playmaker of the game. Next up, we have the offensive playmakers of the game for the Wiggins Tigers. Omar Perez and Cole Kerr. Perez and Kerr both shined in different ways for the Tigers, but about as bright. Cole Kerr went 8 for 13 on the night for 190 yards and two touchdowns. He also ran nine times for 52 yards with a punt for 29 yards as well. Kerr had a great all-around night, and as a dual-threat quarterback, he made Platte Valley think twice before doing anything. Perez had a different type of dominance. Perez had two receptions on the night, one for a touchdown totaling 91 yards. He counted for all of Wiggins' kickoffs and PAT attempts, of which he was two of three. Perez was a constant threat, and his legs punished the Broncos over and over. We have to keep working hard in practice, Perez said, and we have to keep the intensity up, especially in practice. We came in with good energy, we maintained it, and now we just have to carry it into next week. Finally, the playmaker of the game for the Wiggins Tigers. Julio Flores. Julio Flores did it all for Wiggins. The running back slash strong safety had 17 runs for 109 yards. He had three tutties with three two-point conversions. On defense, the senior had one solo tackle, three half tackles, a fumble recovery, and a sack. He also returned two kicks for 39 yards total. Flores was all over the field wrecking havoc on the Broncos. If not for him, this game would have been much closer and may have gone the other way. I want to thank my old line, Flores said. Honestly, this week practice sucked, and I credit the line for giving me big gaps to go right through because of that practice. Now for the stats for Platte Valley. Howdy Johnson had 9 completions on 24 attempts for 131 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Taylin Short had 1 completion on 3 attempts for 15 yards and a touchdown. Taylin Short had 7 rushing attempts for 56 yards. Justin Fawn Becker had 7 attempts for 6 yards. Brody White had 2 attempts for 5 yards. Doug Nally had one attempt for three yards, and Howdy Johnson had 14 attempts for negative 18 yards. As a team, Platte Valley had six first downs on passing, two on penalties, and were five for 15 on third down conversions, and three for four on fourth down conversion attempts. Receiving for Platte Valley, Wyatt Meyer had one reception for 63 yards and a touchdown. Ethan Johnson had four receptions for 51 yards and a touchdown. Talon Short had three receptions for 20 yards. Justin Fonbecker had one reception for six. Josh Eagleton had one reception for six. And punting, Zachary Bradley Burton had five punts for 145 yards. Ethan Johnson also had an extra point that was good. 
and now the summary for tonight's game. Being completely honest with you, this game got boring in the second quarter, where the Tigers widened the gap to the point where it felt like the Broncos could not come back. You may notice that this recap is much shorter than most of my typical recaps are, and that is largely due to the blowout nature of this game. One can only say that one team had good defense and the other team did not have as great of defense so many times before it starts to get repetitive. And honestly, that's how the game was. It was repetitive. Wiggins was dominant all night, and Platte Valley had no real answer for all of Wiggins' guys like Perez, Kerr, Rusher, and Flores. Platte Valley showed potential, and there were signs throughout the entire game, and Wiggins proved that they are a top team in 1A with many hard-to-stop players on the squad. Platte Valley showed that they've got some work to do before they can truly contend for a title, but they're still pretty good. There's a reason that they were ranked 10th in 2A going into this week. The now 3-1 Wiggins has their bye week this week, but they will take on Yuma on the 30th. Platte Valley, now 2-2, has their bye week this week as well, but will take on the DeEvelyn Jaguars in Denver on the 30th. Thank you to all of you beautiful people for listening to this episode of Playmaker's Corner. It's not done yet, and we have a lot more content coming from Cody and Simon, but that's all that I have for this week. Best of luck this season to Timnith, Wellington, Platte Valley, and Wiggins. And I will talk to you all next week. I hope you all have a great day today, and I will see you all next week. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am your host for this segment, specifically talking Denver North versus Northfield. This was a battle for Denver between two teams that were both undefeated at the time at 2-0. So I'm going to go through this game summary really quick and then just talk about overarching notes that I saw because this game does eventually get out of hand. Spoiler. But Denver North, they received the kickoff, and on this very opening drive, they get strip sacked here and you know number 32 jack easterly i believe recovers this fumble and so northfield they end up on first and goal from the four yard line they get a run for three and you know number one for northfield amarian richardson i want to say reaches the end zone here to start the scoring and put northfield up seven nothing so you know not a great start for denver north here but they are going to get the ball back here with still over 10 minutes to go. Hopefully they can bounce back from this 0-6 hole that they're in. But the Northfield defense is so fast and so violent, they force a Denver North 3 and out very quickly. Uh, Northfield's number one, Amarian Richardson, once again, he has a nasty cut and just houses this next run. So they now have a two-score lead here. And Denver North with the ball back. They get a completion on an in route for a first down. Then there's a nice float on a rollout right for nine yards. And then a power run for a first before number 99 on Northfield here. That is going to be none other than Mark Cox. He absolutely blows up Dardano here for a strip sack. And Northfield gets the ball. Now they run, have an incomplete pass. 
and you know eventually christian love runs into the red zone and then he finds cameron joyce fairly for the score here putting up northfield big here in the first quarter northfield then kicks an onside kick and recovers and christian love this qb he's looking for a deep shot they are trying to just demoralize denver north here and he misses on his first two deep shots but eventually just connects with Amarian Richardson deep for for the touchdown and Amarian makes an incredible adjustment on this football to to secure this big lead here um look on on the next drive um Denver North they get a run for a first down they then have a pass interference go their way for a first they have a pass to the left to number 11 for a first Frankie Dardano runs for a first but then he gets stripped on the next play. Luckily, Denver North recovers. But something that I would note here for Frank Dardano is that, you know, not to just hold the ball out and away with one hand. If you, you can still run and manipulate the pocket with two hands on the ball and move sturdy and just possess the ball better. But luckily, the Vikings recover this. They have a short pass and then an overthrow. But then he finds number one, I believe it's Espinoza, uh, who weaves and pushes in for the score. So that makes the score 26 to 7 with nine seconds left in the first quarter. Now, in the second quarter here, there's a big return for Northfield, but it doesn't matter as they turn the ball over and Denver North gets the ball at midfield. There's a short run, an incomplete pass, and then number 11 does have a tough drop from Dardano and they turn over on downs. That probably would have been a touchdown. There were probably two or three passes for Denver North that could have resulted in scores and that would have made this game very different however that is just not how it went so yeah that's that's all that there is to that but anyways game continues northfield uh they run a reverse get a couple yards and then they have a deep shot and it gets flagged for defensive pass interference and then they have a run for the first by Amarian Richardson and then Christian Love shows great patience and just waits for the hole and runs it in for his rushing touchdown of the day. On the next Denver North possession. Denver North there's nowhere to go and uh, Dardano throws a pick here. Great play by the Northfield defense. I mean this defense was just swarming and overwhelming and just bombastic with the way that they were attacking not only this Denver North line, but also the ball carriers, the quarterback. Frank Dardano was running for his life basically all of this game. Um, so Northfield, they they open up their drive with a screen pass. It gets swallowed up. Then there's another pass that gets next to nowhere, and then they get sacked slash tackled on the line of scrimmage, and a holding penalty um, You know, pushes them back here. And uh, then... Number two for Denver North, not sure what his name is, but he bats a pass that easily would have been a touchdown and puts Northfield in this third and 18 situation. They throw a screen for 13 yards and on fourth and seven, Christian Love runs for the first and loses his helmet, but it doesn't matter because on the very next play, Cameron Joyce Fairley hands it off to Amarian Richardson and he does the rest just weaving through these big holes that this Northfield offensive line is creating and gets into the end zone. I mean, the, look, at the end of this half, it's 40-7, to seven, and then Northfield comes out and scores again, and this game just gets out of hand 
So I'm just going to talk about the big points here for me. Look, Denver North had chances. They had opportunities to score here and not allow this final score to be 61 to 14. This was supposed to be a closer game. Denver North, they just are dropping the ball a little too much. They're making costly mistakes on the defensive side of the ball. There's just, I don't know if there's anyone that matched up to the athleticism of Amarian Richardson. That guy is a dude and he is somebody to keep your eye out for heading forward for the rest of the year. Amarian, look, he's one of my candidates for playmakers of the week. If Simon is willing to take a look at him, seven carries, 104 yards, three touchdowns, two receptions, 48 yards, and a score. So four total touchdowns out of the seven total scores here that is uh, this Northfield offense. And then on defense and special teams, they were disgusting. I mean, Amarian Richardson, he had a kickoff return for a touchdown, 82 yards to the house where he completely froze. That was actually what opened up the half. The second half was Amarian. He receives the kick. He just kind of literally stands completely still and takes off and that's all she wrote on there so yeah amarian five total touchdowns including his kickoff return and then there is an interception return by i want to say antion collins he's a freshman but he does get a pick six as they just pour it on this vikings team and look like i said the vikings had opportunities to score there's probably three scores i want to say that they left on the field but at the end of the day, that still puts you at 35 to 61. The defense had to do a little bit more against this rushing attack that was averaging 10 yards per carry. That was averaging 9.3 yards per pass. And there's only six passes completed, right? And one of those is a 40 or yeah, a 40 yard pass basically. So, you know, there is one, you know, forced fumble by Denver North. But when you compare that to three interceptions and, you know, two recovered fumbles, three forced fumbles, this Northfield defense was a terror. And Frankie Dardano is not that bad of a quarterback. Like, it was just that their linebackers are super athletic. Mark Cox makes an incredible play here to, you know, break up some passes and also provide pressure and apply pressure on Frank Dardano. Number 32, Jack Easterly is just an incredible athlete who on top of eight tackles had an interception. He just drops back into his hook zone so effortlessly and totally baits Dardano into a bad throw. This, I mean, oh, I'm like overwhelmed by how well the Nighthawks have transitioned to 3A. I'm really glad that they now put in their stats. And you know, I'll admit that I was wrong on their projection. I thought that their transition to 3A would be a lot harder than it was and that it's going. Granted, I didn't really have roster information. So it cut me a little bit of slack there. But I mean, this Northfield team is dominant. Shout out to our guy, Mason Mako, who, you know, we've had an eye on since his middle school days, who's opening up massive lanes for this rushing attack. Like I said, averaging 10 yards per carry. And I mean, there's just a ton of athletes all over the field for this Northfield team. They swarm to the ball really well. They force turnovers and, you know, they haven't really met their match here so far in the season. I mean, their closest game was against Riverdale Ridge, but they took care of business against Aurora Central. They just clobbered Denver North. And man, I probably have them favorited against Adams City after what I just witnessed. Their first real big test will be Vista Ridge, I think, here in a few weeks on the 30th. That'll be an interesting game against a really good 4A opponent that will test them. And then their league is pretty tough as well, seeing as how they have Kennedy, Holy Family, Lutheran, 
Uh, we're still, I'm still not sure on Fort Morgan, but Lincoln is also currently undefeated. So these are all teams to kind of keep an eye out for. But this Northfield Nighthawks team is playing like a playoff team at this moment of time. They've beaten some quality teams, in my opinion, thus far, but they will continue to get tested. But I think if you're one of these established programs, you cannot, cannot, cannot overlook the intensity of this defense and the violence of which they play and the speed. So... Please be sure to continue to look into Northfield here and the Nighthawks. Congratulations on their win. Denver North with some serious questions to answer heading forth from this part of the season. Got to cut back on turnovers and just stop making really terrible mistakes on, honestly, both sides of the ball. The defense has got to step up if they want to bounce back from this loss. But that was my recap from Denver North versus Northfield. All right, now for this segment, this is our first ever Colorado women's high school flag football segment super excited uh so to give a, some updates here so obviously uh, colorado or women's colorado high school football is in swing here they are getting after it uh the game or the jamboree i went to this i want to say it's this last uh weekend here yeah this last weekend was the second one they had the first one was over at all city stadium this one was at the stutler bowl hosted by cherry creek schools and then i'm just gonna throw this out there but the next one will be hosted by jeffco public schools at jeffco stadium and trailblazer stadium at least that's what it says here on the schedule that i have here and so basically how these jamborees work um, you have, I mean, each team goes, there's about a group of four teams there and they all play each other. So there's about three games guaranteed, maybe a couple more. It depends, but at this one, there are three. I only got to catch two, uh, in this one. And I followed one team specifically, uh, by the way, uh, this pool of play was Arvada West's team, uh, Chatfield, Overland. And then I believe... It was Denver South. So there you go there. Because this sport is not yet a Chassa sanctioned sport, uh, they're currently in the pilot program. So they got to do their time for two or three years. And then it will be a Chassa sanctioned sport. Uh, I don't have rosters available to me. I was not able to reach the coaches and whatnot because I did have to dip out early to go to a, a game down in Colorado Springs. So there you go there. Now, before I go ahead and talk about what happened, I do want to read off the scores that are participating in this thing. Hopefully next week I do get to see a different set of schools as well though. But from the Cherry Creek School District, we have Cherokee Trail, Cherry Creek, Eagle Crest, Grandview, Overland, and Smoky Hill. From Denver Public Schools, we have Abraham Lincoln, Denver East, Denver North, Denver South, Denver West, George Washington, Kennedy, Montbello, Northfield, and Thomas Jefferson. And then from the Jeffco School District, we have Arvada, Arvada West, Bear Creek, Chatfield, Columbine, Evergreen, Lakewood, Littleton, and Pomona. So there you go there. Like I said, though, last weekend I was able to catch uh, about two games here. You know, I really followed Arvada West for these two games. I saw Arvada West versus Denver South and then Arvada West versus Overland. I do have a couple notes here. Like I said, I don't have rosters, but if you know these players 
and all that go ahead and tag them and have them hit us up we'd love to connect and uh learn more information about your team so that we could you know say your name on these podcast uh segments and episodes but i do want to shout out arvada west i watched them through two games uh, my takeaways here was really impressed arvada west beat denver south and overland by a lot by at least four scores i'm not gonna say the uh final scores there uh, partially because there were definitely some conversions that i did not get right so there you go but they beat both by four scores and i think they only let overland score on them once uh denver south did not score on them but i do want to shout out a couple players here uh arvada west's quarterback number 18 she is a very talented quarterback obviously knows her system well i mean this arvada west team is probably the best coach team that was out there when i uh went out there at least in this pool play here last weekend and so they're well coached they knew what they were doing they were sets that i definitely recognized from um you know from uh, the college levels and yeah uh, i guess the club levels as well texas fury all those teams and so there are sets that i recognize there and they looked very prepared very good and it reflected because their quarterback did a really good job um may not have the strongest arm in my opinion that's just my opinion but timing is great and like i said has a great handle um and also has a very good internal clock senses pressure very well she did a good job she threw a couple dots you know that we're gonna post uh, what well, we've already posted on our story but we're gonna go ahead and post on our tiktok that's at playmakers corner if you want to follow us there and check out some of her plays but threw a couple really nice plays so huge shout out to her um number 21 just a great athlete in that denver south game she really went off did a lot for them almost had a long rushing touchdown but was just pushed out of there uh would set up a touchdown anyway so it's fine uh but she's a great receiver tall fast you know good hands here she got a receiving touchdown um when their quarterback number 18 went out she threw a touchdown at one point um and even before that i believe she threw another touchdown to number 18 when she went out and played a little bit of receiver i'm sure they're still figuring out some stuff there and so just a really good athlete she did her thing in that denver south game we'll talk about the overland game here in a minute but i feel like her impact was really felt in that south game and then another player i want to shout out um specifically from the sarvada west denver south game is number three she had two interceptions in that game um jumped both of them so that was a good job by her and then the last player just in general that i want to shout out like i said i followed arvada west's team and i really watched them more than any other team because there's multiple games going on and so as the weeks go on we're gonna follow different teams uh hopefully and watch different teams play and so we'll have more to report from there but for now this episode is mostly on arvada west and so the last player i want to talk about is number four for them she is their pass rusher uh usually you know when you're playing flag football and all that stuff uh you have six people that drop back they play coverage you know whether it's man zone whatever and then you have someone who's going to rush the quarterback so they don't have 40 seconds to throw the ball so there you go but she did a really good job stopping the run getting sacks in both games she made a um, a really big impact you know forcing quarterbacks to throw within three or four seconds and you know for a quarterback to do that they got to make pre-snap reads and some of these players you got i mean this is their second week 
of playing football. And so they're not going to be quiet there. Now they're going to have plays where they know, hey, you know, I need to throw to this player because that is my primary uh, target. That is my first option here. But they might not always be open, especially if they're playing, uh, you know, person to person or zone defense. You know, those uh, corners are going to be on that. And so number four for Arvada West just did a really good job making quarterbacks having just forcing quarterbacks to make decisions. And, you know, a good pass rusher, that is always important there. And then last but not least, um, number nine, especially in this Overland game uh, for Arvada West, really did a good thing. I know I said number four was the last one, but I almost forgot. Number nine was somebody that really stood out. Like I said, especially in this Overland game, has a lot of speed, plays a bit of running back. They'll give her some handoffs, uh, throw her the ball sometimes, but mostly handoffs or reverses. Um, and she's explosive. You know, she had a rushing touchdown, I believe. She had a lot of nice runs, like 20, 30-plus yard runs that put them in the red zone and whatnot. She's going to be dangerous for this Arvado West team. So, there you go there. That's just a little bit of an update for our Colorado High School Women's Flag Football segment here. Um... Because of our work schedules, uh, you know, myself, Cody Gideons, we're not able to make the entire thing. We would if we could, but we're just not. Cody will for sure make the championship game, which I believe I want to say that is October 15th, if I'm not mistaken here. Yes, so uh, Cody will be at the championship games, uh, well, championship tournament, October 15th. So what's going to happen is that there's going to be another Jamboree hosted by Jeffco Public Schools. So that's going to happen. Then after that week, October 1st, Saturday, there's going to be district Jamborees. And so that's when, you know, schools from their district, they just play each other. And then they have district tournament pool play. And so basically that's going to decide, all right, you know, what, what players or sorry, what teams are going to go to the finals here. And then those finals uh, between those teams will be held at Pat Bowl and Fieldhouse. I believe that's the Broncos training facility. And so Cody will be there uh, to cover that whole thing. The next couple weeks, I will be trying to make jamborees, different uh, tournament stuff like that like I just mentioned uh, to cover more teams but um, hey this is just the beginning I'm super excited and whatnot uh, like I said super impressed by Arvada West extremely well coached a lot of playmakers that know their job and they do it you know would I say they have the best athletes they have some really good athletes. I'm not even going to lie they have some good ones the best I don't know I still got to see more teams I only saw four last week and so We'll just have to see about that, but huge kudos to Arvada West. If I had to pick a playmaker of the week, um, I would go ahead and give it to Arvada West's quarterback, number 18. She did a really good job. Super impressed by her play um, in those two blowout games. So there you go there. All right, now let's go ahead and talk about playmakers of the the week here uh let's start in five of here so we have a couple guys here liam zarka he's one he got a dub in overtime over fruit monument he went 14 of 19 171 passing yards three touchdowns only one interception uh had two carries but one of those carries did go for the game winning two point conversion so there you go then we got logan madden uh got an upset win over regis jesuit scored all of ralston valley's touchdowns he won 21 of 32 253 passing yards, three touchdowns to one pick. Also had a rushing touchdown. Three of those passing touchdowns were in the fourth quarter, so that's pretty impressive there. Um, then 
over at Rock Canyon, we have Aiden Duda. Again, Chaparral, he had 16 carries, 220 rushing yards, and three touchdowns uh, in a big-time dub over them. And then we have Kylan Studebaker for Legacy. He had four tackles, two interceptions, um, then also had a kick return and punt return for a touchdown and an upset win over Mountain Vista. And for 5A, I'm going to go ahead and have to give the Playmaker of the Week to Ralston Valley's quarterback, Logan Madden. Um, hey, he played great, especially in that fourth quarter. That's clutch time. Three touchdowns there to go ahead and win it. That is huge. So big shout out to him in Ralston Valley. Um, so yeah, he's our 5A playmaker, week four playmaker of the week. Moving to 4A, we have a couple quarterbacks here. Um, Caden Box, 13 of 25, 199 passing yards, three touchdowns, and a dub over Vista Peak. Uh, we have Cola Crew, 10 of 14, 172 passing yards, 18 carries for 53 rushing yards, and four rushing touchdowns and a big dub over Erie. Derek Hester did his thing over uh, against 5A Smoky Hill. 8 of 14, 191 passing yards, two passing touchdowns. Also, eight carries for 53 rushing yards and two touchdowns. And then last but not least, we got Zach Stryker for Ponderosa. 13 of 18, 199 passing yards, two touchdowns to one interception. And 80 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown in a big-time win over 5A Legend for the 4A playmaker of the week i'm gonna have to give it to cole lacrue here of broomfield uh, big time performance here very efficient he did his thing he was one of the engines for this broomfield offense in a big time dub over erie so there you go cole lacrue is your week four playmaker of the week Moving down to 3A, we got a couple guys here. Ryan Kenny, he had 19 carries for 251 rushing yards, three touchdowns over Pueblo East. Bryce Malanga, 27 carries, 283 rushing yards, and four touchdowns in a rivalry win over Anglewood. Tommy Paholski got a blowout dub over Discovery Canyon, 20 of 22, uh, 30, 313 passing yards, five passing touchdowns, no turnovers there. And then Northfield's Amarion Richardson, seven carries, 104 rushing yards, and three rushing touchdowns in a blowout win over Denver North. A lot of blowouts here, but I'm going to have to give this to Ryan Kenny of Lutheran, the senior running back. A big time performance against a top 10 opponent, 3A opponent in Pueblo East, so got to respect that. So there you go, Ryan Kenny is your 3A Week 4 Playmaker of the Week. Moving over to 2A, I got two players here that are candidates for this. I got Ahmad Hussein from Denver West. He had 20 carries, uh, 196 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Also, had uh, he had 12 tackles, three tackles for loss, a forced fumble, and he recovered that, I believe, in a good dub against Flatirons Academy. Then I got Morgan Trebet against Severance. 10 carries, 59 rushing yards, a touchdown on defense, 14 tackles, 5 tackles for loss, a sack, and 2 fumble recoveries in a good win over Severance. But for this one, I'm going to have to give it to Ahmed Hussein from Denver West here. Big time performance, and so there you go. He is your 2A Week 4 Playmaker of the Week. Then last but not least, we have our 1A candidates for playmaker of the week i got two i got rylan reitz 
Quarterback for Esther Sparky went 29 of 42 for 443 passing yards and five touchdowns, only one pick in a shootout dub over Denver Christian. And then I got Wiggins Julio Flores. He had 20 carries, 118 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns. Defense also had a sack, four tackles, recovered a fumble in a blowout win over two a Platte Valley. And so I'm actually going to give this one to Julio Flores. He is your weak for playmaker of the week for the 1a level played a really good platte valley team and he scored a lot of touchdowns against them including a couple extra point conversions uh gideon says so gotta give it to julio flores of wiggins so there you go those are your week four playmakers of the week one more time for 1a it is wiggins running back julio flores for 2a it's denver west's running back ahmed hussein for 3a it's lutheran's running back ryan kenny for 4A, it is Broomfield's quarterback, Cole LaCrue. And then for 5A, it is Ralston Valley's quarterback, Logan Madden. Those are your week four playmakers of the week. All right, now let's go ahead and talk power rankings here. Um, just a quick reminder of how we do these things. Myself and Cody, we rank teams 1 through 5A, 1 through 10. If you're at number one, you get 10 points to 9 points three eight points and so on the team with the most points is how we go ahead and rank that so if you have the most points you're ranked to number one and so on and so on and so that's how we're doing these one through five a but let's go ahead and start on the 1a level at number one is Lyman uh, here's what Cody has to say about them he says it may seem early but the bye week was perfect for Lyman after a big win and before another big game so there you go there Lyman didn't lose didn't win they stay at number one at number two we got Ray Cody says Ray jumps back up to the two spot for me simply because the other number two spot lost um, and then three didn't play and boy did Ray take care of business against Alcott as they should and so for that we move them up to two here at number three we still got Strasburg Cody said Strasburg used this week to get healthy and get more reps following their home loss to Lyman. I don't think they'll be as lucky to have them at home, so they will have to be significantly sharper to bridge that gap if that rematch comes about. I definitely agree, so there you go. Uh, like I said, I mean, they, they didn't play at all, so there's no reason to move them up or down quite yet here. At number four, though, uh, we got Wiggins. Wiggins. Cody says they faced a quality 2A team in Platte Valley and they were dominant showing that they are still a force in 1A and I totally agree that was a good dub and so that's why they are here at 4. Now on our Playmakers Corner Power Rankings we have Monta Vista at 5 moving up here. Cody says no fault of their own uh, they get leapfrogged here but they won't be moving down in his personal rankings for not playing same here in fact I, they actually move up because another team moved down and that team is Buena Vista who has moved down to six here uh, Cody says I'm going to put them here for now Gunnison has been swinging for the fences has been quite the challenge so far but if you're going to be a contender you cannot lose that kind of game maybe it'll be a wake-up call before Lyman but me personally I am very worried for these demons hosting Lyman next week we'll see how that one goes you know uh, Buena Vista definitely has a chance to move up if they beat Lyman then they move up that's pretty obvious so 
there you go there at seven we got yuma yuma moving up just a little bit here cody says after a very tight prove it dub over brush yuma has got to be feeling themselves but i will hinge a potential big jump at their matchup next week against wiggins if they could beat wiggins in my opinion then they move up um over them so we'll see that's me saying that not cody so <laughs> we'll we'll see about that but yuma got a good dub rush is just one of those teams that'll play a lot of teams close so there you go uh pretty solid squad at eight right behind yuma we still have centauri uh cody says centauri if any team needed to buy so desperately in the whole state it was centauri who still is nowhere near full strength but at least gets a breather to put themselves together for a stronger rest of the season completely agreed didn't play so not gonna move them up or down but you know definitely losing some players to injuries that was kind of tough at the beginning of the season so this break is well needed we'll see how they react going forward and then at number nine and ten i believe it stays the same we have meeker and colorado springs christian cody didn't say anything about them i didn't say anything about them i believe they both have buys as well and so there you go that is our week four pmc power rankings once again for 1a at number 10 we have colorado springs christian nine we got meeker eight we have centauri seven yuma six bonavista five montavista four wiggins three strasburg two ray one lyman um gunnison is definitely knocking at the door just gonna say that there so there you go let's go ahead and move on to two-way here uh and let's actually start from 10 going to one but at 10 we're actually tied me and cody decided on two different teams at 10 in our personal rankings cody at fort lupton i had Woodland park cody said fort lupton here are the blue devils sitting at three and one with their only loss to a 3a program by a single point that was reet ridge uh, he said william alvarado has played efficient football to this point throwing six touchdowns only four interceptions uh did say his completion percentage leaves something to be desired but whatever he also leads with four rushing scores and anthony bland mendenhall has been doing his thing on both sides of the ball leading and receiving and also grabbing four interceptions this game on the road against Berthid, uh, against Berthid may just decide the number 10 spot here moving forward, but they face a brutal league uh, schedule here after that with Eden and the Academy back-to-back. -back. He says enjoy here for now. That's what Cody says. So there you go. Uh, I picked Woodland Park. They had a, a number of quality wins here. They're also 3-1. Or sorry, excuse me. They are 2-1. Uh, they beat Salida. They, beat, they blew out Mitchell. So there you go. And then they, their only loss of the season is to Summit, who and they only lost to them 17-0. to But Summit is a 3A program that is currently undefeated. They are 3-0. So for that reason, I pull Woolen Park here. I feel like they just played a little bit of a tougher schedule. And so there you go. So tied at 10, we have Fort Lupton and Woolen Park. At 9, we got Elizabeth here. Cody says the Cardinals swoop the ninth spot on my list. Following a close win over University that may have shut the door on University's season. Probably agreed. I'm not going to take a shot at University, though. Elizabeth, a win's a win. Not a very convincing win, but it's still a win. So, there you go. Uh, at 8, we've got Moffitt County. I believe you both got Moffitt County. Cody says, always nice to see an out-of-state win for any Colorado squad. And that's exactly what the Bulldogs do this past week. Absolutely agreed to do that without Evan Atkins. That is a huge accomplishment. Uh, still finding a way to get it done there. 
And then moving on here in 2A, at number 7, we got Basalt. They are coming off a pretty good dub over Glenwood Springs. I believe they beat them 28-12 to 12 or something like that. Uh, Cody says, every week the Longhorns give us more and more of reason to believe. They just beat 3A Glenwood Springs and now prepare to... Um, what that doesn't make sense now prepare for league play where the rest of the teams look like sitting ducks since basalt is undefeated and will be rested following their bye week this week so there you go um just ahead of basalt in our personal rankings or sorry in our pmc rankings we have florence at number six uh cody actually ranked florence at five he said this team maybe more than anybody in 2a could use a bye week just to settle down after the roller coaster that was their first three games and for that we will keep them right at five where i had him in his personal rankings i had florence a little bit lower so i kept them there as well so for the most part they basically stay at the same spot now at number five we got la hunta cody had la hunta at six he says they get back in the win column and take care of business against Manuel. Enough said. So there you go. Uh, like I said, LaHunta and our uh, PMC power rankings are at five. After them, at four, we have the Academy. Cody also has the Academy at four in his personal rankings. He says, another week and another 50-burger for these undefeated Cats, this time against a talented Devlin team that just hasn't figured it out quite yet. Uh, Devlin, not the Academy. That's why the Academy is actually at four. But at number three, um, both in my, or sorry, Cody's power rankings and my power rankings, and so that makes them at three in our PMC power rankings, is Delta. Cody says Delta keeps right on winning this time with a shutout against Rifle, with the defense playing so well, and the offense not even at full strength this year. I believe in these Panthers more and more every week to be a tough draw in the postseason for anybody, and he is correct. Ty Reed hasn't even come back yet. Uh, probably would have won by a lot more uh, when he does. And Ty Reed will come back this season. His injury is not that, not as serious as a season-ending injury. So there you go. Now at number two, uh, they stay here. Our ones and twos basically stay the same. But at number two is Eden. Cody said Eden really blew out a solid 3-8 team in sevens to keep their spot here at two. Worse for Severance, definitely better for Eden though. I think this was Severance's Hulk game, um, homecoming game, and then at the end he put the letter E. You could uh, assume what that is, so there you go. Then at number one, we got TCA. Uh, Cody says no movement up top for the big dogs on their bye week. They're still undefeated, so there you go. TCA stays at number one. Our PMC power rankings following week four goes... Tied at 10, Fort Lupton and Woodland Park. 9, Elizabeth. 8, Moffat County. 7, Basalt. 6, Florence. 5, La Hunta. 4, The Academy. 3, Delta. 2, Eaton. And 1, TCA. That is your 2A power rankings. Moving on to 3A, though. Let's go ahead and start at number 10. At number 10, we got Pueblo East here. Uh, Cody put them at 10 in his power rankings. I had them a little bit higher, but Cody says uh, gonna keep East just inside my top 10 here since it's their first loss uh, This season against a very quality Lutheran squad. I definitely agree I think Lutheran is a top team easily a top 5 team in 3a here and they looked really good playing Pueblo East and it wasn't like Pueblo East was playing bad 
I I mean, I just don't know how you beat that Lutheran team, to be honest with you. Pablo Luis was doing what they can, and so I'm going to keep them in the top 10 for now. They do have a rivalry game against Pueblo South here this next Friday, um, which I will be at. I'm super excited to go to Dutch Clark for that, and so we'll see what happens. Hopefully, they do bounce back, which they probably will. Um, then at number 9, we have Holy Family. I personally do not have Holy Family in my top 10. Um, they dropped out weeks ago. Cody has them here at 7 still here. And so for that, they are at number 9 in our PMC rankings. But Cody says um, it's a little concerning to see that Cooney threw three interceptions. But the defense matched that and added a recovered fumble to their workload in a convincing win over Mountain View. And a good reset following their bye week so there you go for now holy family is at number nine in our personal pmc power rankings at number eight we got northfield i believe i have them around here cody actually has northfield on nine cody says i finally saw uh, them with my own eyes all the reasons why northfield is not only undefeated but how they've been so dominant in wins this front seven flies around at high intensity they have a variety of looks on defense with linebackers that drop back into coverage and make great plays of the pass corners that can lock up and off and an offense with a few weapons marion richardson is an absolute do-it-all back he was a smooth athlete and went ballistic in this game and should be a playmaker of the week candidate christian love is just good enough to make plays and did I mention how fast and violent this defense is? Question mark. There you go. There, Northfield also moves up in my top 10 for me. And so, uh, Northfield, welcome to the top 10 in 3A. They are right here at 7. Following Northfield, we have Res, Resurrection Christian um, here at 7. Uh, Cody actually has them at 8 in his personal rankings. But he said, with teams in front of them losing, I'll scooch Res up here before they play another out-of-state game here in the coming week. Yes, I believe they're going to Katy, Texas, so that should be a fun one for them. We'll see how that goes for them. Moving on, though, in our personal power rankings, we have Evergreen here at 6. Um, Cody did not say anything about them. I didn't say anything about them. They took care of business versus Discovery Canyon Campus, so not much to be said. They move up here to 6. So uh, there you go there, keeping, uh, keeping up and still winning even after that tough Northridge loss. So there you go, which was still a close one by the way but at number five uh they stay here at five that is durango cody has them at five here cody says want to just put down real quick that this win over a 4a squad um being this convincing 4a squad in grand junction central is uh is great work as they only trailed once the entire game before just speeding up in a way absolutely agreed they took care of business there i felt like that was a game they should have easily won and they did now at number four, we got Lutheran. Uh, I actually had Lutheran ranked at three in my personal rankings. Cody has them at four. He doesn't say anything about them. Um, I moved Lutheran ahead of Northridge in my personal rankings because their offense was extremely impressive and they still made mistakes. Don't get it twisted. They still made plenty of mistakes, but they looked extremely good. So I could only imagine how they will look when they're playing at their absolute best. On top of that, their special teams might be the best special teams in all of Colorado. Some of those, a lot of those onside kicks were extremely lethal. And so that's why I moved them above Northridge. But for now, they stay at number four uh, in our PMC power rankings. Now, Northridge is at three in our PMC power rankings. Cody has them at two. And so that's why they stay here at three. Uh, moving on, though, at two, we got Green Mountain. Uh, 
they took care of business against Pueblo South, so they stay here. And I th feel like that is fair. I think I actually had Green Mountain at number one in my personal rankings last week. But I chose to move them down to two because number one, Roosevelt beat Highlands Ranch, a 5A team, a solid 5A team at that. It's not like the bottom feeders or anything. And so Cody says, those boys are different. That's in all caps. Roosevelt stays undefeated with a win on the road against 5A Highlands Ranch. I already know 5A truthers will be on their heels trying to cast Highlands Ranch out, but really give credit where credit is due and respect the Rough Riders for hanging tough and pulling out a tough win on the road. Roosevelt ran the ball tough as they always do. I'd be a little bit more concerned about the failed PATs if they lost, but as a Wiseman once said, still be in quotes. There you go. Yep, Roosevelt, they got a very quality dub. For me, that was a quality enough win to put them over Green Mountain in my personal rankings. Regardless, they stay at number one in our PMC rankings for like the third or fourth straight week. So there you go. But after week four, our PMC rankings goes just like this. At number 10, we got Pueblo East. Nine, Holy Family. Eight, Northfield. Seven, Resurrection. Christian. Six, Evergreen. Five, Durangos. Four, Lutheran. Three, Northridge. Two, Green Mountain one Roosevelt and I just want to shout out this team here because I actually had a different team at 10 than Cody did I actually put George Washington at 10 they were just out but they are definitely you know they're definitely in the mix they are undefeated so keep an eye out for them now let's move on to 4a here Let's go ahead and start at 10. We got a new team here at 10. It's Bear Creek. Uh, Cody says, I'm going to show some love to this Bear squad that has an undefeated record, including a few convincing wins and a cherry on top with a nice win where the Bears surged in the second half to beat Thomas Jefferson in 4A. They will be tested to retain their spot against Fruta this next week, though. Super excited to see that one, but I also have Bear Creek up here, and so that's why they are here at number 10. At number 9, we both agreed on Montrose. Cody said, while their latest win over 3A Palisade... Wait, what? While their latest win was over 3A Palisade, a win is a win, and 500 is 500 with competitive games against good comp, and they still have to be riding high from their revenge win on Erie. Yes, absolutely agreed. Just barely lost to Fruta earlier in the season, so just keep that in mind. At number eight, we got Dakota Ridge. Cody says, gonna keep the Eagles here at eight in his personal rankings as they take care of business against Rampart for the second year in a row and get back to a more accurate 500 record. Totally agreed here. Uh, drop Dakota Ridge slightly in my power rankings, but not too much here. Uh, so there you go. At number seven, we actually have Loveland. Cody has Loveland at six. Uh, I have Loveland ahead of Dakota Ridge, I think. And so Cody says, after a narrow one-point loss to start the season, Loveland has quietly put together a win streak that has only seen 15 points allowed, including a cross-town win over Thompson Valley this past week. If they keep this up, they're in a very good spot to win their league, and we'll probably be taking notes from Broomfield's win over Erie to prep for that game here in a few weeks absolutely agreed move Loveland up here just a little bit since they do have a slightly better record than Dakota Ridge now at number six here uh we got Denver South Cody actually had Denver South at seven I had them a bit higher so they're at six 
Cody says, in a surprising turn of events, the Ravens get upset by the Golden Demons, 43-42, to end their unblemished start to the season. This may seem like a harsh punishment to move them down this much, but there's been a creeping thought in the back of my mind that maybe this defense wasn't the championship caliber unit I thought they could be, and their points allowed has been concerning for a couple weeks now, and ended up biting them real bad here. They'll have a chance to prove themselves against Ponderosa here in a few weeks, but I am not as confident in that game following this upset loss. Uh, yeah, definitely agreed. I did not move Denver South as far down as Cody did. I still think they'll be fine it's one loss and I mean it wasn't like Joseph Capra or the offense or anything like that play bad defense gotta step it up you gotta be a little bit tighter here so there you go now at number five according to our PMC rankings we have Pueblo West Cody's rankings uh, they're at five as well he said not gonna move them uh, down following a bye week where they probably get humbled by the coaching staff in practice if you're going to have a blowout loud loss why not get it out of the way before the bye week and get your head screwed on right prior to a tough second half of the season definitely agreed they'll be playing a number of top 10 teams here in 4a so we'll see what happens there and then tied at three is broomfield and food a monument uh, i had food a monument over broomfield uh, i already had it that way and then cody moved broomfield past food a monument after this loss and so uh let's talk about food first cody said i'm not gonna move food up or down as they took the wolves the grandview wolves and 5a all the way to overtime and narrowly lost by point in most games where you score five touchdowns you would probably win but there's nothing to fear from these wildcats they just ran rampant for 300 plus yards on a solid 5a squad little concerned that the passing game didn't do more but it wasn't like it was atrocious so they would uh remain here at four with a chance to move up when they play broomfield on the 21st and also move up in anyone if anyone slips uh fruit of monument has been at three for me for a minute now i've been pretty high on them i'm not concerned about their pass game they're not a passing team they're a running team so if they get 300 plus running yards that's definitely enough to win a game and they almost had 100 passing yards too and it's not like grandfield or grandfield grandview it's not like grandview sucks or anything they're in our top five uh for a really long time and i believe they probably still are so yeah that's why i have them ahead of broomfield uh but cody moved up broomfield here ahead to number three after they beat Erie who's not in our top 10 at all anymore but Cody says about Broomfield I saw with my own two eyes as the defense brutalized and the offense muscled its way to a dominant win over the 4A state runner-ups Cola Cruz the truth and has a contagious fire about him the defense is solid on all three levels not to mention the offensive line and rushing attack were efficient and nearly falling forward on every play this team will continue to get tested but boy do they look phenomenal Friday night? Absolutely agreed. I thought they looked great, you know, uh, beating Erie at home. That's That has to be a great feeling. Uh, still a talented squad, you know, but they're like 1-3, and 1-2. Can't justify putting them here in the top 10 uh, this far in the season. So they are out of the top 10. But Broomfield, they do look good. I think they're definitely a contender. So there you go. Now, our next two spots are exactly the same. We both got... Uh, Ponderosa at two and so Cody says after losing two close ones and getting blown out badly last week uh, Ponderosa has beaten wait a second oh sorry um, let me start that again after losing two close ones and getting blown out badly last season 
Ponderosa has beaten their crosstown rivals for the first time since 2017. That's when Cody and I were freshmen in college. He said this defense held the Titans to sub four yards per carry and was disruptive in the past game. Uh, the offense pulled their weight as well with Zach Stryker having three total touchdowns and the Mustangs deliver on one of their biggest regular season goals, not only beating legend, but ending their run at a perfect season. It doesn't get any easier as they now have the biggest fish in their foray pond on the road next week when they face Palmer Ridge. That should be a good game there, a battle for number one. And speaking of number one, we got Palmer Ridge at number one. Cody says Derek Kessler's progress continues to wow me as he was efficient scoring four times, twice through the air, twice on the ground against a fast Smoky Hill defense. He has yet to throw a recorded interception and the Bears keep rolling as they head into their biggest matchup of potentially the 4A season this next week. Um, hasn't had a turnover period. So there you go. Really like Derek Hester's development. I'm sure we'll probably be sending someone to that Palmer Ridge Ponderosa game. But that should be uh, fantastic for a showdown. And so there you go. Our week 4 PMC Power Rankings go just like this. At number 10, Bear Creek. 9, Montrose. 8, Dakota Ridge. 7, Loveland. 6, Denver South. 5, Pueblo West. Tied for 3rd, Fruita Monument, Broomfield. 2, Ponderosa. And at number 1, for like the fourth straight week here third straight week here we got palmer ridge so there you go that's your 4a power rankings after week four last but not least let's move on to 5a here or 5a power rankings after week four here uh, at number 10 we got fairview we both had fairview here uh cody says another week and another dub for the knights who handle horizon maybe not in the convincing fashion they might have hoped for but get the win regardless. Rowan Reisner has been good this year, but has got to cut back on the turnovers if this Fairview team wants to be able to beat teams like Foster Ridge later in the season. Absolutely agreed. Uh, Fairview doesn't exactly play the toughest schedule either, so if they lose, then they probably drop out of the top 10 and might not have another chance to come back here in the top 10 unless teams at the stop, uh, or sorry, teams at the top start losing oof got my words twisted there so there you go but moving on at number nine still we got rock canyon um cody said these jaguars are rolling like a mudslide as they piece up chaparral uh in all honesty this jags team that averages 158 rushing yards per game could and probably should be five and no heading into league but should be cautious of an arapaho team that would love to play spoiler and is desperate for a win absolutely agreed but hey, this Rock Canyon team is rolling. Defense looks good. Rushing attack looks good. And they're undefeated. So we'll see about that. Now, moving up here, we have Grandview at eight here. Uh, Cody, he says, phew, that was a close one. Grandview and the company ride a balanced and efficient offense to a dub, including Zarka scoring the game-winning two-point conversion. They had Donovan Vernon produce an incredible clip and volume this game and should feel really good about going all the way out there and returning with a dub. All the way out to Fruita Monument, that is. So, there you go. But they stay here at 8. Tied for 6th, we got Pine Creek and Thunder Ridge. Uh, Cody at Thunder Ridge at 5 uh, and then Pine Creek at 7 here. Obviously, I had different rankings, so they tied for 6th here. But... Uh, let's talk about Thunder Ridge first. Cody said, a solid 4-0 start, including a nice homecoming win, has the Grizzlies riding high. They're in a tough league, but each week looked, um, they look more equipped and ready to handle it. 
absolutely agree there um played chatfield pretty well still beat him you know did a good job there uh this next week here they play chaparral who they should beat regardless then after that they start league and play mountain vista and i'll be at that game so excited for them here uh and then pine creek they're tied here at six uh cody had them at seven he says no surprises in pine creek's big time win over denver east absolutely agreed they took care of business so they stay here at least for me they do so there you go now at number five we have valor christian cody actually had them at six but he says we know that legacy is a solid program legacy out in arizona but i cannot remember the last time valor lost this bad this is a very unstable two and two valor is sitting at and gabe sawchuk still has not got going this season yet so yeah no absolutely agreed um i thought about dropping them lower in my personal rankings but we'll see you know, I mean, Valor, Valor definitely got shook. It's not like Legacy sucks. They're definitely a contender, like a top two team in Arizona. And Arizona is a pretty good football state. So there you go. Embarrassing loss, though, and not good for Colorado football. But that's more of a personal reason. And so for that, I don't drop them lower. Uh, but they're definitely teetering. So there you go there. Now, number four, we got Regis Jesuit. Uh, they moved down here. Cody said a couple of spots dropped for allowing Ralston Valley uh, to score 19 points in the fourth. But this was a very winnable game. Yes, it was because they were up by like two touchdowns at one point in the fourth. But anyways, Cody says it's a very winnable game for Regis. But they have now lost two in a row and got to right the ship. Um, yeah, I mean, one of them wait a second one of them was out of state so i don't think it was two in a row <laughs> but uh this one was the second one of this season and so there you go that was against ralston valley and uh ralston valley is now at number three climbing these rankings cody says what a game by logan madden and these mustangs after we just put on 14 points in the third, the Mustangs rattle off 19 points in the fourth to pull out a one-point win. Ralston Valley has some quality games thus far, and I'm very high on this balance squad with grit and talent to go with it. Absolutely agreed. Shout out to their coach, uh, Jared Yamasito. I think he's done an excellent job getting this Ralston Valley team ready. I wasn't sure how they would respond year one, but... They're responding great, and honestly, as far as I'm concerned, they are definitely a contender. And if they were to play Cherry Creek again, things could get interesting. But moving on, though, at number two, we got Columbine, still undefeated. Cody said a dominant win over Arapahoe and teams in front of them. Uh, losing pushes Columbine to this number two spot, not even being at full strength. Um, so, yeah, there you go there. Columbine here at number two. Like I said, undefeated. One of the few undefeated teams here in 5A, by the way. But still at number one, we got Cherry Creek. Cody says another dominant win over top 20 team just bolsters their spot at the top. They have been able to get multiple quarterback snaps, which is sweet. And the rushing depth chart is deep. And so that helps them out. Uh, they do play Regis Jesuit this next week. This is me saying this, though. Uh, they play Regis Jesuit this next week uh, on Thursday. I... Coach V will be at the game. Super excited to see that. This will be another chance to prove that they deserve to be at number one. So there you go. Your PMC Week 4 Power Rankings goes as followed. Um, number 10, Fairview. Number 9, Rock Canyon. At 8, you got Grandview. Tied for 6 is Pine Creek and Thunder Ridge. 5, Valor Christian. 
four Regis Jesuit, three Ralston Valley, two Columbine, and one Cherry Creek. There you go. Those are your PMC power rankings after week four. Oof. Okay, that's the end of basically this episode. Thank you so much for rocking with us. I know this is a long one here. Uh, hey, if you want to follow us, so sh- show us some love on social media. I can't talk for a minute there. Go ahead and look us up, Playmakers Corner, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok as well. On TikTok, we'll be posting highlights of the games we go to, a women's flag football, high school football, whatever. We'll be there. And on social media, we'll be announcing where we're going to be at. Uh, and give updates of these games as well. Uh, the games I go to usually I update on Instagram. Uh, same with Gideon. He'll update them on Instagram. Cody will update his games on Twitter. So there you go. Uh, he could do that if he wants. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for rocking with us. Oh, and subscribe to us on YouTube and Twitch as well for more content there. And you know what? We will catch y'all later and one last thing i actually just remembered right here we are also doing a media poll we're we've been doing this uh 1a through 3a we contribute uh me and cody's rankings that we talk about on this show to this media poll with like nine or ten other people uh in the medium usually all either podcasters or radio guys and you know you could find that media poll linked in our link tree there the website to that uh will be on there shout out to our guy anthony garcia for including us and whatnot and uh yeah go ahead and check that out if you want to hear not only our opinions but the opinions of a bunch of other people in media so there you go only one through three a though so there you go but thank you so much for rocking with us and we'll see you later i've said there you go a million times this episode and i hate it but it is what it is